This week's episode of Retronauts is not sponsored by MecomSoft, but it probably should be. everyone, and welcome to this latest episode of Retronauts, starring me, Jeremy Parrish, and also other people who are here in the studio with me. Once again... I have. I have. Great. Here's your <laughs> chance to do an edit. Hi, I'm Christian Nutt from Gama Sutra. And joining us for the first time in a long time, long making time. his triumphant return to Retronauts, Woo-hoo. Uh, Frank Zafaldi from uh, Digital Eclipse now. Yes. And Frank is fresh off of his Mega Man Legacy Collection Victory Tour. <laughs> no, I'm on the tour. Oh, are you on the tour? Okay. Yeah. No, there's there's no victory yet because uh, 3DS is still quite a ways off. Oh, that's true. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the versions that have come out so far seem to have gone over pretty well. It's a really good uh, review in U.S. Gamer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard the guy who wrote that is really smart. Yeah. <laughs> Very handsome. Jared Petty liked it also. So, you know, how deep does this collusion go? Because you can just Jeremy kind of, Purse, Jared Petty. Yeah. Oh. You can kind of Kevin Bacon the whole thing. Whoa. You know? Crazy. Yeah, no, the uh, the Mega Man Legacy Collection turned out really well. It's um, Thank you. exactly the kind of thing that I want to see happen to classic video games. Um, because this episode, we're going to be talking about the the process involved in really getting a great experience out of games for systems that are obsolete and no longer supported by the technology that you can actually buy at any store. Yeah, in like, fact, this is saying, screw you, Mega Man Legacy Collection. We want to go back to the source. <laughs> no, Mega Man, Mega Man Legacy Collection is great because I'm, I'm the busy. idea there is to bring that sort of like super high quality experience to people who don't necessarily want to spend five to eight hundred dollars on equipment all the scary things we're going to talk about now will make you appreciate Mega Man Legacy Collection <laughs> this, this episode is is not us bragging about how much money we spend on things it's more like oh, a I'm lamentation ashamed. a yeah. lamentation <laughs> yeah I'm I'm really just like how how much money have I oh my god you know I, I take it back I'm not ashamed it's just it's a hobby I don't really yeah. spend that money on you, you know it's like everyone has cars. an everyone with disposable income has an equivalent hobby more right. or less I've got a mortgage I don't have disposable equipment or income or equipment <laughs> you have disposable equipment <laughs> yeah. which is what we'll I'm be talking have to about liquidate it <laughs> um, but yeah I mean each of us I think has kind of uh, sort of had our own journeys toward Having the ideal experience with classic games, like really recreating classic game experiences that we want, and by no means are the the things we're about to talk about uh, like mandatory for people. Like this is not an episode about saying, "Oh, well, if you don't play your classic games this way, you're a terrible person and you're a fake." Like if you just want to play virtual console games, great. If you want to emulate games, go for it. Whatever you know. Like the important thing is that you. Play classic games. It's just that I, I think you must play classic games. It's, that that's mandatory. <laughs> like if you're listening to Retronauts and you don't play classic games, why? Uh, <laughs> did you download the wrong show? <laughs> um, but yeah, there's just a lot of ways to play these games, and some of them are more faithful than others. Some of them are a lot more accessible than others. And the challenge is finding that balance between accessibility and expense. And kind of finding, like, what is the point that works for you? That's really what we're talking about. And I think all of us kind of 
have fallen off the deep end into like, eh, we're going to make an investment here. But yeah, I think I'm in the kiddie pool compared to you guys maybe, but, uh, but I definitely have made some investments. Yes. Yeah, just to get started, I guess maybe the first thing to do would be to talk about why it's hard to play classic games on original equipment today. Uh, I think the simple answer is LCD TVs. Yeah, yeah, that's the one of the biggest of big answers. Well, that is, yeah, the, the biggest answer is that TV technology is much different now than it was. We're no longer running CRTs. We, we've replaced that technology with uh, what is... You know, arguably better, but uh, you know, as 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 often goes with technology, uh, we've lost some things with the games. Right. It's better for television. Yes. It's yeah. Better. I mean, the the advent of high definition television really necessitated a change, a fundamental change in how televisions work, because you you need a big screen with HDTV to really you know enjoy the picture, and when you have a big CRT television. Like once you get past about twenty seven inches, yeah. it becomes unmanageable. Well, like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm <laughs> no, sorry. go ahead. We moved from an era of lines and scan lines right. of resolution to pixels of resolution. Right. HDTV is defined by resolution in a way that CRT TV was not exactly. Right. Exactly. Well, because there was only there was no such thing as resolution. Right. right. It was like there's two there's 240 scan lines to work with, and mm-hmm. well, 480, and you would alternate. But you know, we're probably going to get into that at some point. It's crazy. Yeah. Right. So, so the fundamental technology that we're talking about here, CRT and flat panel, basically. There sure. Are, there are a lot of different options. There's but are, but are LED, we also gonna, LCD yeah. plasma? Are we also going to get projectors. into? Uh, uh, you know, uh, arcade games like Tempest, you know, vector monitors as a technology. I mean, that, if you, you know, want to, that's that's an area that I can't even imagine yeah. trying to worry about. It's also analog versus digital, which is yep. another That's probably, thing. yeah. That might even be the most important consideration here is that basically everything up until PlayStation 3 was really designed around, uh, you know, Xbox 360, PS3. Everything before that was designed around the concept of analog televisions, of CRTs, cathode ray tubes. Um, and as such, they work on a fundamentally different kind of technological assumption than mm-hmm. modern game systems. Modern game systems have pure digital output or are capable of pure digital output um, over HDMI or other mm-hmm. other signal connections. Um, and go directly to a television, whereas the analog TVs of before uh, used analog output, and so there needs to be to make them work on a digital TV. There has to be a conversion right. process, and that's that's really what I think this whole conversation comes down to, right? Is if you plug in a, a, an old game console into a modern HD TV, it doesn't look right, it doesn't play right. You know, you have a lot of input lag that's introduced. Uh, the the TV is forced to upscale your probably 240p image to 1080p, um, and it's not really built to do that. It's built to take uh, a movie, like a, a small, like a, a DVD, for example, like a 480p DVD. It's it's built to upscale that in a way that looks clean, but uh, that upscaling that it's doing is not good for pixels. 
it's good for and that's probably being you know, done by video. Like, the PlayStation actually is is upscaling the video signal and then throwing it out to the TV, whereas the TV. Oh, you mean? Or, oh, I'm talking about if you t- if you, you plug, plug in your player. Sega Genesis into right. your. I'm saying like if you plug in a DVD player. If you plug in an old DVD, DVD player. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, not your even television old, just, still has to yeah. do the upscaling. Right. 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 No, a modern DVD player. Sure. To your to your point, uh, through HDMI or whatever is is upscaling before it gets to the TV, but. Uh, yeah. No, no retro game system was built with upscaling. And they, in mind. they didn't care about. And in fact, they do a lot of also like image processing on on the things that not just the upscaling, but also usually processing to try to make things look nice. Yeah. Things that are not old video games. Yeah. Really, what it does is is screw up the image and introduce even more input lag. So I mean, if you, if you want to see this example, you know, just what it does quickly, just uh, Google image search a, a small image or a screenshot of a game even and then uh, go into Photoshop or Paint or whatever and, and and upscale it by linear times four and you'll just see the blurry mess that's introduced. It's they're they're introducing data into that image that wasn't in there to begin with to try to compensate for for what's missing. And uh, for old games it's bad news. Right. So like I said, we should we should probably just kind of explain the technology. Like what is a CRT? Because that was that was the technology the video technology that everyone used up until the middle of the last decade. Right. Um, when the when the HD TV ch- uh, revolution happened and everyone started switching over to flat panels, um, those were left be- by the wayside. But up until that point, mm-hmm. televisions were these electron guns that shot beams right. at a screen. And that was this huge, complex device in the back of the system. It would eventually break down. Which is why it's heavy and right. not flat. Right. Yeah. And it's it's kind of hard to imagine, but just like it's drawing one uh, horizontal or I should say vertical line at a time from like. You Wait, know, do you mean horizontal? Yes. It's drawing horizontally a vertical line. Right? Oh. Am I, it, it's drawing it's, a line from left to right. Right. So that's horizontal, right. and then it's moving down. Yes, vertically. so it's, like, it's drawing from the top left to the top right, moving down one line, top left to top right. It's just, like, right. sweeping. And it does that 240 times. Yeah. And then repeats it 60 times per second. Right. Exactly. So, so 60 hertz is, yeah. is, is a roughly... For NTSC televisions, are we going to get into yeah, that? Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, those those was, aren't real people, right. anyone outside of those territories. <laughs> let, let, let's talk about CCAM for a while, because that's my favorite topic. <laughs> Although, quick, a quick aside, uh, I'm I'm really uh, amused by the the things I see in the Steam forums for Mega Man Legacy Collection for people who originally played them in the PAL territories, saying it's too fast, the music's too fast, you ruined it. Uh, because right, uh, and we probably won't get into this, but uh, the the brief version is that PAL TVs, which was Europe and Australia and places like that. Uh, you know, those, those were a different format, and often for, for games, they wouldn't convert the games to run in that format. And if you just put an NTSA ga- NTSC game into a PAL television, it will run a little faster than intended. Yeah, Actually, PAL, significantly faster. That, that, that's one of the advantages of the HDTV era is that it's gotten – it's thrown out, thrown out the differentiation yeah. between PAL and NTSC. There's no such There's thing. There's no longer a territorial divide. Any divisions that you have, like region locking – those are all artifice. Like those are put in place by copyright holders who don't want you to be able to watch something in a different region. But it's no longer a technical limitation. Whereas before you had in America and Japan and South America, I think, NTSC, which was 60 hertz. So it was you know 60 frames a second, 240 lines of resolution or 480. 
um, PAL was what five seventy lines, five seventy six or five yeah. seventy something like that yeah. at fifty hertz, so fifty yeah. frames a second. It's, it's, so it just it was... ran at a different speed and had a different resolution. And most console games were made in either America or Japan and were designed around the NTSC spec. So in the conversion process, if there most, was one, there yeah, often wasn't. Right, yeah. like if if a game went over to the UK or to Europe, it either like Nintendo labo- would do the laborious, work. yeah, like yeah. laborious changes to make it work properly in the new format, or else it would just get shoveled out there and be crap. Right. Yeah. So if you're in Nintendo Europe, yeah, you do that. If you're say Capcom Europe, you don't bother because you know it's it's such a small market there, and you're just kind of putting out product to make money quickly. Right. So so, so yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I, I mean, yeah. So I mean, that's basically you know CRT technology. You know, Introduced what in like the the forties or fifties or something like that. Uh, and so it was, had a good run, yeah. Even before that, but I think it really got popularized right, right in the fifties, right? It yeah, became I mean, like the when it became a thing that you actually owned in your home, like everyone yeah. owned in yeah. their home. Yeah, it was it was television, right? Yeah, and it, it gradually increased in quality over time. By the end of of CRT technology's lifespan, there were some pretty damn good systems oh, out yeah. there. We'll talk about PVMs and BVMs later, but you had things like EDTV, um, mm-hmm. ex- expanded definition technology, which was 480p. Yeah, yeah, like there were some really great looking CRTs out there. Uh, well, but, we even got HD CRTVs. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, HD at the at the end. I, I had a, f- a couple friends who had HD CRT. Yeah, there's TVs. 1080p okay, I, CRT. I did TVs. not realize they yeah. existed. Yeah, yeah. and uh, they are so heavy. Yeah. I bet. Even when they're not that big, they are they're so heavy. Stupid. They are. Yeah, you 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 want one to exist somewhere you can access, but you don't want it in your it's, house. They're like 250 <laughs> pounds or something. Yikes! Yeah, but that's that's where you want to play your Wii. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yeah. But but the thing about a, a um. An HD CRT is that it doesn't have to output at 1080p. It's capable right. of going up to that resolution. But if you plug in something that's 240p, you know, like a classic NES or a Super yep. NES or Sega Genesis, it's going to just automatically resync to 240p, and yep. you're going to get this clean, beautiful, like the way God intended yeah. image <laughs> of your computer game. Though, and that that uh, you know, that that versatility is something completely lacking in LCD TVs. They can upscale, but if you have a 1080p television, it has exactly enough pixels to mm-hmm. create 1,080 lines of resolution. And if you input a 240 or even a 720p image, it has to be stretched and scaled. And some that works better for some things than others. Like, yeah. like you said, DVDs, great, because, because, the, because the scaling the is kind of built around yeah, yeah. the image compes- compression limitations. But... Crisp, clear pixels, not so much. It's yeah. streaming data. Like the the device that is hooked to a, a modern TV is streaming data to like the TV that is displaying you know the exact pixel representation. Yeah. In the old days, it was displaying analog information. Yeah. So it's something we didn't we're going to get into. I'm sure is talking about the clean the cleanliness of the signal and how that affects what you end up seeing also. Yeah. And even with with LCD TVs or LED TVs, even if you're not upscaling, even if you're sending a 1080p signal, there's still a little bit of a lag. Um, mm-hmm. I have um, the the Sony brand televisions Bravias, which are considered pretty much uh, about the best consumer grade uh, television you can get for gaming because they have like five milliseconds lag, which is yeah. <laughs> like one frame. Yeah, but that one frame is still enough to create a disconnect between game input and 
you know, what yeah, you're seeing mo- on the most screen. Most people won't notice it. Right. right? But everyone but knows, who play Guitar Hero knows that this is oh, a yes, thing. Right? Yeah, or, like, or a rock band. I'm right? Jammer Lammy on PSN. Like, you can't play it on an LCD TV it's because it's, yeah. Or, you know, if you watch, like, some games done quicker, like any other speedruns, they talk about doing, like, frame-perfect tricks, you know, where you actually have to give input on the exact frame. Right. Fighting and, games, too. Yeah. There's, like, three frames of, of, of windows yep. for, for actions and combos. So there is no way physically possible to have uh, uh, no delays in HDTVs with games. I mean, even, and, even modern games. It's just... I mean, what, what, modern what, what is it about, what is it about oh, HDTVs that causes that mandatory lag? Is I'm, it just I'm the, not, like, I'm not completely sure, but I know it's an analog versus digital thing. You know, like, like an anal- when it was all analog, when it's just, you know, you're, you're, you're sending an analog signal and it's just like spitting out instantly whatever's on there. That's that's basically instant, but uh, something... It's the speed the of electricity and light, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, even the HDMI standard introduces some lag, mm. you know? the uh, Okay, that the, makes sense. There's computers this, yeah. getting in the middle of it. Even right. in your television, like, right. there's a computer entity that is yeah. interpreting and processing so the image, checking the, it for copyright, y- etc. And it's not even just the video signal. Like, USB introduces mm-hmm. some lag. You know, it's just... It's actually, like... It's, you know, it's a digital signal that's, like, bouncing from one point to another, being told what to do next. Right. Go there. You know what I mean? As opposed yeah, to there's just, transmissions happening. Yeah. Data is being sent as yeah. ones and zeros. So that's just – and that's – So in theory, at some point, processors could reach a point where they're transmitting that data so quickly it's it's no longer noticeable. But – Maybe. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I assume in we're theory, still a long way away from that. Yeah. But there's also the question of whether the people who are devising these specifications care about that or right. if they care more about, like, introducing – more copyright checks or more processing <laughs> right. for image quality or whatever the hell they like. And frankly, modern games are built with this in mind, and so no one notices or cares. Right. And when you put out a collection of old games on modern consoles, you get uh, complaints about uh, input delay because people don't realize that all their games have input delay. Right. In but fact, they're not built around it. Modern games are – modern developers are so completely aware of this that they, they – they allow for it in yeah. every interaction with a player object. So that's why you don't think this is a thing. It actually is. It's just that the games are made with this knowledge. Yep. Which is fine. But it's not fine if you want to play old games. Right. And, of course, that's what we're talking about now because those those are what's important. <laughs> you must play classic <laughs> games. This is this is mandatory. We're, we're going to twist your mind by the end of this episode. <laughs> um, You're going to hate your TV. And us. Yeah, another another issue that that results from the uh, the frame delay is that things like light guns don't work. I mean, yep. even if they could work with LCD TVs, and I've heard different opinions about different comments about whether or not that that's possible. Something like a Nintendo NES Zapper uh, was based on frame perfect timing. Yep. Like it would flash the screen and then have a, a frame of darkness, so there would be like a white frame and then a black frame, mm-hmm. and it would it would require those within like one frame of the trigger being pulled to prevent cheating to prevent you from like aiming the light gun at a you know at a at a lamp or something right and just always registering a hit which you could do on the uh, Odyssey I believe by the way and in fact yeah I was reading another I am error fact I don't know if this is going to come after the last episode we recorded or not but I am error the book by Nathan Altice like. They specifically designed the zapper to detect the, the wavelengths that CRTs put out of light, not incandescent light bulbs, mm, which right. was like the primary light bulb technology of the time. So it wouldn't so, work with an LCD TV. Right, because light LCD TVs do not put out the same wavelengths of right. light, which is another thing about this image thing. Like, 
the, the kind of light and image produced by modern TVs is just fundamentally not the same kind of light and image produced by old yeah. TVs. Yeah, so point being, you can never play Duck Hunt on your Nintendo on a modern TV. It's right. impossible. And I have bought a tiny 8-inch CRT monitor so that I can record, like split a video image and record HD video of myself playing Duck Hunt while also actually playing it on a tiny television. Did you get that shiny bow thing I linked you to, or did you? Uh, no, it's actually um, but you... the analog NT. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, the the shiny bow. Oh, uh, yeah. I thought you were because you were you 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 proposed this challenge on Twitter, right? Like, right, right, right. How do I play Lostless on a CRT uh-huh. while also splitting out digitally yeah, 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 yeah. and recording? And what I recommended was uh, splitting the RGB signal. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so. Um, this is kind of getting ahead in the podcast, <laughs> but yeah, I love this like, stuff. Though I, I got a ton of suggestions from people, some more feasible than others. The, the question was, how do I record HD video directly from of, of a light gun game directly from an NES, outputting high definition RGB output? You know, like this is this is the challenge. How do I do this? And because the light gun requires a CRT, but the HD video yeah. signal like has to go through an upscaler and then into my computer. So how is that possible uh, without some sort of degradation? There is like the possibility of a pass-through mm-hmm. through the uh, CRT. But um, ultimately, since I'm, I'm using an analog NT, uh, I just worked with analog and they're building a custom cable for me because the, <laughs> the NT actually outputs all video signals At through the, the VGA time. port. Okay. Yeah, so it has, it has um, the RGB signal that's going to into, you know. The, oh, that's great. Okay. Yeah, th- that'll go into the television and then also uh, the signal will go separately into the upscaler. And in theory, it should work just fine. Nice. So anyway, yeah, but it's very complicated. Like this is the kind this of thing the kind of that thing you ar- have to do arises. Yeah, like I've I fall I I have fallen into this hideous <laughs> hell of technology, and I'm not a tech-minded person. It's fun because the little things that you want to do aren't feasible. You go back and look at like these were consumer products designed to be sold basically as cheaply as feasible. Also, and mm-hmm. we are not treating them that way either. So that's another sort of I mean when wrinkle in the whole process. When, uh, you know, Yoshio Sakamoto designed Gumshoe and was like, I'm going to make this video game where you shoot a detective so he can skip past balloons and find his abducted niece or whatever. Like, he was not thinking, people are going to want to play this on another kind of technology 30 years from now. Right. That, that, that was or inconceivable. Or even the same technology 30 years yeah. from now. Or <laughs> even, like, you know, like, it was disposable entertainment. They made that game, and then it's on to the next. We're going to sell them a new light gun game next year. And that's the way all entertainment has been historically. Right. I mean, that's the way movies were, right? It's like, we're going to make this so it runs in the theater for a month, and then who cares? We'll just destroy it. I mean, they had revivals of, of popular, like, significant movies. Right. right. And that was in theaters. Like, it wasn't until videotapes became a thing that they were like, uh, where'd we those can, go? Wait. We can yeah. sell these to people. Yeah. You know, like, that was like, you know, they'd, they'd sell them on, they'd sell them in, into, you know, they'd sell them in the theater, then they'd sell them to television networks. Television networks would fight over popular movies, which you can't even imagine being a thing no. these days. <laughs> like, you know, like, NBC or whatever would would fight for the rights for something that was in theaters a year ago, pay millions to get it on television. Yeah, I remember like the uh, the network exclusive broadcast premiere of Star Trek the Motion Picture where they added like eight minutes of footage. Yeah, that was a big deal. ABC I, got the rights. Wow. And that was that was its own kind of scam because actually the distribution companies would sell the networks giant packages of crappy movies. 
uh, with like one or two good ones mm-hmm. for like kind of like buying game. eBay lots of old NES yeah. games. Yeah, and that is actually how Mystery Science Theater existed. Was because, because of, KTMA. Well, no, well, KTMA, sure, but like also even Comedy Central. Oh, okay. You know, like their their movie packages included all this other garbage, and that's how they that's what they mined was like I the garbage that. that came in those packages. That's great. The thing I don't know if or do we have an order or are we following an order because no, no not really just because it's improv. We're talking about this disposability thing, and this is what I recently spent money on that I people might not even be conceiving of. Less so on this sort of, and I mean totally, I'm jealous of your analog NT setup, so I'm not dismissing it, but totally separate to that. Like, I just paid a guy to like replace all the capacitors in my Turbo Duo mm. because in 1992 when it was manufactured, NEC was like, throw some capacitors in there. We got some capacitors. They did not think that in 2015 someone would still want to play it. And the capacitors in Turbo Duos, and this also affects, I know, Game Gears. I'm not sure about everything. Like Game Gears are notorious for it. I think but, uh, Genesis also has problems they, with uh, capacitors. The capacitors are a small, if you don't know what they are, they're a small thing that controls voltage mm-hmm. on electronic motherboards. And the ones in Turbo Duos and TurboGrafx products in general are starting to decay. And if they decay too much, they pop. And if they pop, they leak gunk on the motherboard. And if they leak gunk on the motherboard, you're not getting that thing back. So there are symptoms. Um, I I put in my Turbo Duo like last year and I turned it on and, and the, the volume was really low. And I'm like, this is weird. And there's kind of a buzzing. And then I my Turbo Express, which is another TurboGrafx handheld um, device, to barely see the screen, barely hear any audio even with it cranked. I'm like, okay, this is weird. What's going on? I did some research online, found out about this capacitor issue, and then recently I paid someone to snip all the capacitors off of my <laughs> hardware, replace them with new capacitors, and seal them back up and send them back to me. It's like These are the kind of things. It's, it goes beyond this right. disposable entertainment. They were literally making... And this is, you know, still the case of, I mean, how long do people keep cell phones nowadays? Like, Sure. Yeah, like the electronics industries did not anticipate that people were going to be continuing to want to utilize these things into if, the future. If you don't mind my asking, like, how much does it cost to have the capacitors replaced? Uh, around the 60 bucks oh, per, is that it? per hardware or something. It's the, actually not that bad. Or if you just know someone who's good at electronics, yeah. you know, yeah. just, they'll give you a friend, right? It's, it's, right? Not a, it's not like a... It's not a lost discipline yet, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> like replacing capacitors. We're getting there, I guess, but it's... Yeah, no, it's 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 it, funny. It's not like, you know, vintage television repair or anything yet. It's right. like like motherboards are still motherboards, you know, so... Yeah, yeah and that that's an issue in, an, in and of itself is that a lot of people to play classic games are buying CRT televisions, but I think they went out of manufacture in like 2005, 2006. Something like that, yeah. Like no one on the planet makes cathode ray tube televisions anymore. So there is a finite supply in the world. There's, you know, millions of them, but... But know, how many there's, are there's like only... out on your your neighborhood's curb right now? Yeah. You know, like they're just getting thrown away. And, and of those, like how many are actually good? Right. And of those, how many actually work? If you want CRT televisions in your life, this is the exact time to get them. 
Like this is, I think we are at the apex of availability and cheapness mm. of CRC salvage. You go on, you can go on your local Craigslist if you're in, a, you know, a reasonably populated area and find really good CRT televisions for cheap. And I don't suspect that's going to be true in like two years. You know, I think we're at that exact point. And yeah. uh, I know people who hoard them. You know, because like you can't really fix them when they break. You can in theory, but they're very difficult to fix, and and you can't replace them. So yeah, I'm still hoarding my television I bought in '98. I just kept it always because I knew yeah. I want to have it around, and it's like a great television. But who knows what'll happen? I'm considering getting one more uh, monitor and just putting it in my garage, just in case. You know, I don't know what I'm gonna do when my baby dies. <laughs> So yeah, we were we were talking about disposability, and uh, I threw out Gumshoe as, as an example. But realistically, you know, even though Nintendo wasn't thinking who's going to want to play this in thirty years, who actually does want to play it in thirty years? Like it's it's a it's a it's a small audience. There's a small niche of enthusiasts. I mean, of everyone listening to this podcast, you know, you take like twenty thirty thousand people downloading the podcast. What percentage of those people actually really really cares about? Zapper games. Like I barely you know, do. Yeah. Like, right. I love NES, and I, I'm i like, uh, yeah, okay. I mean, we could take the most popular game from the day, like, say, Super Mario Brothers or something, and say that, like, a huge number of people who, like, still care about old games play that game. But there, how many people are, like, putting it in an NES and yeah. playing it nowadays, even a game like that? Well, yeah, you I mean, got to pay 50 bucks for it now, so... <laughs> yeah, it's a rare game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they only made, what, like 30, 30 million of them? Something like that, yeah. yeah. It's only like the third biggest selling game of all time. Yeah, they're vanishing quick. <laughs> Got to buy them while you can. Are they expensive or something now, cartridges? Yes. yes, if you go to a vintage game store, it's basically like Mario and Zelda are, are like And they look at eBay prices and then say, what can we do twice that? Yeah. I was but, just wondering, are eBay prices? Wow. Okay. No, the, like prices for franchises, and, and this is going to be true, and, and like the future of game collecting is, is its own topic, but like I suspect that, you know, a, a pristine copy of Super Mario 1 is going to be worth more than like a really rare NES game. Like 20 In the years, long run, 20 maybe, years yeah. Now. Because uh, I don't think, I think we're going to hit a point where uh, people aren't nostalgic for the NES anymore. They're nostalgic for these properties. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. I, I would I would counter that based on my Game Boy experience. We're not like, there yet. Like 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 if you if you are talking about games that existed in really small numbers, trying to get those complete. Yeah. Like those those games are already in the thousands. But we're still in the like completionist era. You know what right. I mean? Like you know. I, I don't know what to compare it to, like comic books or something. You know, there's a ton of random, incredibly rare Golden Age comics that no one cares about. Whereas, like, the first thing with Batman in it or whatever. Even though it, those enough. were, like, a million copies of those are worth millions of dollars, literally. Yeah. You know? Anyway. So that's why CRTs uh, just look better. <laughs> <laughs> but they do. That's that's something we didn't catch Get to. on. Yeah. Really, is that... Uh, CRTs are beautiful. Like the the, the a good in, CRT, yes. yeah, good CRT with a clean video signal uh, is the most beautiful way to play a classic game. They just there's not there's no way to replicate that. Even if you don't spend, I mean, we're gonna get into the, sorry what you can spend on on sure. enhancements, fixes, signal perfect 
monitor or whatever. But if you just get like a nicely made TV from the era mm-hmm. and you plug, especially like even just like an S video signal, S-video into is probably it. the lowest I would go. Beyond yeah, but, that, but it like, actually does look kind of crappy. But even if you put, like, I was uh, at a game room at a con a while ago, and if you just get like a decent monitor and even plug like a composite, there's still going to be some dot crawl and whatever. But if you plug a CRT of decent quality with a decent quality signal output, it's going to look nice because just, that's yeah. what. That's how they were designed. Mm-hmm. That's what people were designing for. Yeah, I, I, there's definitely an appreciable difference in the form of output you use. I remember when I finally upgraded my my game setup from just composite video to S video. It was it was you know like the biblical scales fell off my eyes. Yeah, yeah. Mine was the GameCube. Was the first one I did S video with. S video. Uh, I, I, I dicked around with it is uh, on PlayStation because yeah. I started doing video capture for mm-hmm. a gaming intelligence a- agency. And, um, like, I could all of a sudden see, like, the the frames of... Uh, oh, yeah. You know, like, alternating frames of a video. Like, the detail was that crisp. I could actually see yeah. Yeah. the way the, the uh, fields were alternating. And S-Video was, like, I shot, like, the TV I referred to, I shopped for a new TV in 98. I, got, I specifically talked to other people. At this point, I was already on IRC talking to people about video games. And I was... <laughs> Like, what TV should I buy for video games with S-Video? Because this is PlayStation Saturn era. And I got this Panasonic flat screen that I still have. And um, just, you can even, if yeah, like, for that generation, more for 2D than 3D in, in a way, it, it was really helpful. Going back a generation, playing the 16-bit games, only the SNES actually supported S-Video na- natively, I think. I think that's true, yeah. Uh, and only the 16-bit, model. no, Genesis actually does RGB right out of the box. Right, but it doesn't do S-Video. Does it not? It does not do S video. That's wacky. You have to mod it to That's do wacky. S video, even though it doesn't. It, even though I it's, think, I think even Turbo, though it's tapping an RGB signal, you have to mod it to get S video. I think Turbo. No, no. I I, I will mod required. I in fact the is other it thing, the Duo that can do S video? No, then? nothing can do S video with Turbo Graphics. Hmm. I just paid the, the dude who did the uh, modification and fixed all my capacitors. I also had him put in an S video port in my uh, in my Duo. Because there, there's no native S-Video on the Duo or any of the TurboGrafx hardware. I think the Super Nintendo is the first one hmm. that does it. But, uh, yeah. Unless the Famicom titler predates it. Yeah, yeah, the Famicom titler <laughs> does, but that doesn't really count. No, that doesn't count. Not, that was not consumer-level. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, no, uh, the – I completely forgot. We started talking about S-Video, and then I, like, uh, digressed around. You were talking like, about when uh, you were shopping for a good oh, yeah, no, TV. I, you got a flat screen you I still just, have. Yeah, no, like – so I have this this duo that I just got back from the guy, and I finally hooked it up with S-Video to test it for the first time to see, like, duo and S-Video, literally the first time in my life, because it's not possible for it. And it's like, yeah, you can just see the difference. Mm-hmm. I mean, even on that same TV that's nice, like, the difference between composite and S-Video is perceptible. But then there's one step further. Is that a good segue? Should be. Sure. <laughs> so, okay. Actually, um, there's more than one step further than S-Video. Uh, sh- sort of, right. But, okay, Pure layman terms, right? Like uh, analog signal is is ten is tends to be three signals. It's uh, red, green, blue. Well, four signals. There's also like sync or something, right? Yeah, or, or luminescence. Or, right. But yeah. but but at at the heart of it of an analog signal coming out of say a Sega Genesis or something, there's there's a red, green, blue channel, right? Um, composite, which is the the crappy yellow cable we all used, uh, or even uh, RF, I think does the same thing. The the, the screw in metal technology. That's combining all three signals into one signal, mm-hmm. and that's why you, you get uh, degradation and it looks right. kind of crappy. And RF is, like, so bad we shouldn't even talk about it because right. it is literally – it's not a physical connection. It is, like, a an antenna yeah. that broadcasts 
you know, across yeah. the space of like, you know, half a millimeter to your television. Yeah. So which is why it's it's so staticky and fuzzy because it's open to all kinds of interference. Like the FCC is like you can't cause interference, but anything can cause interference to you. Yeah. Too bad, so sad. Yeah, and if, if And I, I remember playing games on RF signals and it was it was like well, you Christmas probably remember every day because of all the snow. Yeah, and you probably remember like getting news broadcasts in the mm-hmm. background of, of your games. I was like, stuff. oh, hey, there's yeah. my favorite reporter behind Mega Man. Yeah. Um, so then S Video, what did it? it? It broke off the red. Luma and Chroma. It's Luma and Chroma. So yeah. it split it into two signals. So uh, basically, black and white mask, yeah. and then color. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And then RGB is actually red, green, and blue in three separate signals. Right. Uh, which? Well, no, actually. It's more complicated than that, and I guess okay. I was scolded about it. Uh, it's it's actually a more advanced version of the Luma and Chroma. Is that right? Like there's the, the YB and Y YC yeah. and whatever. Yeah. So yeah. so it's actually it's it's basically a more refined version of of S Video. Okay. And I I don't quite understand the technology enough to but, be able to but, give an expert sta- statement they, on it. But the, yeah. the important thing is that. It's basically breaking the video signal into, as the name suggests, even more components. Right. So everything comes separately. It's shielded. It's distinguished, you know, distinct. Right. So that it's a much cleaner signal and you get a better, more faithful image. Instead of telling your television, here's all the signals displayed, it's telling your television, okay, here's this part, here's this part, and here's this part. And then your television displays them cleanly. And, uh... RGB, how do you describe it? It's, it's. I mean, if you ever played a classic arcade game, like in an arcade uh, on, on, a, on like a new monitor, that's RGB. It's just clean. You could right. see every pixel. There's no, well, there's a small amount of color bleed, but not really. Um, it's, it's just, it's, you know, it's vintage games at their finest. You cannot make them look any better. All the information is available to the, to the hardware to, to throw that all information directly onto the screen. Right. Right. And unfortunately, RGB was pretty inaccessible for American consumers with consoles. Yeah, there was no consumer level RGB in America ever. Right, that and that, that's that's one advantage that PAL users had over us because the sort of standard default connection that uh, PAL televisions used was called SCART, which was basically just like this traffic jam of different signal types. Like SCART could be used for anything up to and including RGB. So, you know, people were getting really slow, muddy, bogged down versions of games, but they looked good while they were sounding terrible and running too slowly. Yeah, that's true. Um, and even then, like, they would use S-Cart connectors for, like, the NES, but the NES was just feeding composite into S-Cart because S-Cart can do anything. Mm-hmm. It's just a connector type. Well, and even in Japan, there was a um, an official cable. I have one. Yeah. The, uh, the Super Famicom uh, RGB21 cable. Yeah. And... The the original Super NES model, Super Famicom, was capable of outputting RGB, and that was never available in America. But right. in Japan, you could buy that RGB twenty one cable and get just like such a good image from your yeah. There must Super have NES, been consumer Super levels. Famicom. Yeah, because there were a lot of RGB cables, and in, in like there was there were there was a Japanese Neo Geo RGB cable and mm-hmm. Super Nintendo, and I think Sega Genesis even well Mega Drive. Um, so there must have been consumer level televisions that did that. But or maybe we, they were maybe they were built around the idea of broadcasting or you know viewing your games on a computer monitor. Oh sure. I mean keep in mind that you yeah. know Japan Japanese living rooms were necessarily much smaller, more compact than American. Right. So there would need to be kind of a dual purpose, dual functionality for the televisions they did use because they're huge, cumbersome, take up a lot of space. 
it would make sense that maybe yeah. a lot of Japanese gamers used just computer monitors for gaming. So that option was there for them. And Americans, you know, had big living rooms, could have, you know, a 30-inch television set, which 20 years ago was just unbelievably luxurious. Yeah. Also, I think that if you look at – if you've ever, like, gone into a Japanese electronics store or read about, like, the way they ran the industry, it was just, like – Everything was bells and whistles. Like competition was super fierce in the 80s and 90s. Like companies were always trying to add new features to everything. Our TV's got this, that, and the other mm-hmm. in a way that like I think the, the the distinctions of like what was shipped to outside of Japan, like the like America, much less feature-focused and much more focused on just like this is a television. Yeah. <laughs> like finding an S-video capable television when I bought that Panasonic – it was one of, like, I went to a store with, you know, like, 50 different TVs, and it was one of the only ones that even had an S-Video port. Like, just, it wasn't a thing. But then it was on all of them, like, you know, within two years after that, yeah. I, I would say. Um, but we never had RGB-capable displays here on the consumer level. They were limited to the, the professional sector. Right, uh, or, or computer monitors. True. Which yeah. would use, like, the VGA display. Right, which connector. was sort but, of, it, which is its own standard. But, I you know, also... why would you want to look at your video games on a 14-inch computer monitor right. when you could have your huge big TV with a remote control and everything? Yep. So when uh, people like you and me get RGB monitors now, NTSC RGB television monitors, or you wouldn't even call them television, uh, like mine, I have a PVM twenty five thirty, which is like the the classic. You know, that's the one everyone points to, and and that that was mainly used for broadcast purposes. You know, it's like yeah, and you think about it, it makes sense. It's like if you if you're editing video, you want to see exactly what the video looks mm-hmm. like. You know, it, it, like when it's tuned perfectly, right? Um, so it was used for that. It was used for medical purposes too. Yeah, this a lot of the Sony, a lot of right? the smaller yeah. ones are like um, you know for endoscopy and that sort of thing. Yeah. So you see exactly what's happening inside someone's guts. Yeah, because like if you're using a composite signal, it's like is that a tumor or is that right. color bleed? So they they know? really needed the highest po- quality, hus- highest possible quality. Yeah. And those those you know like an eight inch PVM would originally cost like twelve to fourteen hundred dollars. Yeah. They were super expensive. Yep. But the you know the the video output quality was unparalleled. Right. And the build like it was as good as you could get. It's probably better too for Yeah, like, I mean they're still running 20 years later. Yeah. Great. I would imagine yeah. that you know compared to like a regular consumer grade television probably these days it's also a better option because it's less likely to just break right. down. Yeah, I mean they usually ran Sony Trinitron Trinitron monitors which appeared on consumer d- devices in a like a lower incarnation and those were like it's weird Sony either makes like the best most durable stuff or mm-hmm. the crappiest most you know, break-prone stuff. It's kind of like game a, stuff is always it's just going to break. But their TVs were amazing. Yeah, it's the Huffington Post model, right? It's like, <laughs> like, like put out business a bunch in of the crack. front, party in the rear. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, do we want to get into like, do we actually recommend, or do we want to get into? Uh, you you mentioned MyComSoft. We haven't even gotten into that. Yeah, so I guess um, having laid down sort of the the baseline for this conversation, um, maybe the next topic of discussion is like what our options are. Right. Our options are. So it's, you know, either get a CRT and go down that route, right? Or or make your consoles look the best they can on the, te- on the display that you have, right? Right. Yeah, bearing in mind that the only thing you're going to be able to buy at any retailer now is an LCD TV or not even – they don't even do plasma anymore. It's like LCD, LED, um, 4K, which is, you know, just advanced LED. It's the same thing. Um, 
there's no such thing as a CRT available for standard retail anymore. No. So this is what you've got. You either hunt down something on Craigslist or eBay and hope that it works and hope that it holds out for you or you just kind of give in to the inevitable and say, all right, LED TV it is. Inevitable for you maybe. (laughs) I have two TVs in my living room. Well done. I do. I have I have a big HD TV, and I have right next to it my my Sony PVM monitor. Um, but you know, uh, you, okay to 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 display a classic console on your modern HD TV, you can't rely on the upscaler that's in there for the reasons we already mentioned, which right. is that it's upscaling based on what makes like a movie look best, and yeah. which is the opposite of what makes a pixel based game look best. Yeah, and even even on the best. TV you're going to get, the the lag that's going to be introduced yeah. is terrible. Like the Bravia TV has five milliseconds of delay just with its display. Yeah. But when you add the upscaler in there, it's yeah. probably more like 30 to 40 milliseconds. Oh, that's true. Yeah, because it's not – yeah, because you're absolutely right. When it's upscaling that image, it is also right. you know, causing – That is a computer processing yeah. op, you know, process, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so that means there is more lag as, as, as the – Images is, is run through the processor. Right. So in order to display a, a vintage game on a modern HDTV in a way that looks okay, uh, you need to uh, capture the video signal before it gets to your TV and upscale it in a way that your TV doesn't know how. Right. Um, and that's a really uh, – there are devices that do that. Uh, there aren't very many that do that because, as you might imagine, that there's not a huge market no, for that. No, it's a pretty small market. You know, in, in a world where people are satisfied, you know, buying an Android box that reads cartridges that displays them digitally anyway, like, you know, there's not that many people who are like, no, I want to play on original hardware and I know what it's supposed to look like. And, and, I and also I don't want, like, five frames of lag when I play Mega Man 2. Right. Um, so... You and I both uh, sport what is considered right now the best upscaler for 240p content, uh, which is MyComSoft's, uh, what, XRGB Mini Frame Meister? Yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, this is something you so, recently discovered. I'd like you to go into it. Yeah, I mean, um, I think the first time I ever heard of a Frame Meister was on an episode of Retronauts about two years ago when there was a query about it. And I was talking – Ray was Ray Barnholt was talking about it. And I said, oh, that sounds really great. And he was like, yeah, it's 300 bucks." And I, I think my response was, oh, screw that. Yeah. Because, you know, there's there, that's sticker shock. That That is not something that is making an appreciable contribution to your video game experience until you really sit down and, and start to look at the fine details. Mm-hmm. It is a device that exists entirely to sit there, take input from your game system, and then turn it into a digital HD signal as quickly as possible. And feed that to your television. So you know, like that's 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 a hard expense to justify unless yeah. you're really deep into this. the The reason I even became an uh, you know someone who uses a Frame Meister is because I wanted to do the Game Boy World stuff and yeah. capture you know Game Boy video, like actual cartridge based Game Boy software on actual Game Boy hardware. You know, Super Game Boy running through Super NES. Right. And I started out just using like an emulator uh, and running on a composite signal because I was like, ah, I'm just making this video. Who cares? And got a lot of kind of pushback on that. People saying, hey, this should be better video quality. Here's what you need to do. And so, you know, I really kind of with some reluctance because I knew I was going to be falling down this rabbit hole. As soon as I I made the commitment, I was like, I I know this is going to end up being really expensive. 
because it didn't stop with just getting a Framemeister. <laughs> I also does. got an RGB modded Super NES. Yeah, and because n- you now have, you know, now that you have a Framemeister, it has that, that D terminal input on the front. And it's like, well, now I can actually see RGB. Right. Upscale, which you didn't have before. Right. So I got the... D-terminal being the Japanese standard you're talking about for TVs? Yeah. But you can get, you know, an adapter Mm. for basically any video into Mm. that. uh, I don't even... Like, it reads most things. Mm. So you can get an adapter that just takes your your S-cart, you know, RGB now, Mm. and and you can display RGB. Yeah, and... Honestly, I I was very fortunate because um, someone who works in video and had a bunch of equipment and was really a big believer in the concept of Game Boy World was like, I will contribute this to the cause, which is like an amazing stroke of luck. And I'm still very appreciative for that. Uh, not everyone is going to be that fortunate. Um, yeah. So, so you know, I mean, once, for me, once I only... came in, like yeah. um, I really – I saw the difference. Like the sound quality was better. The video quality was better. It's just an improvement in every way. And then, like you and a few other people told me, you need to get a Super Game Boy Two (laughs) because the Super Game Boy One is like three percent, you know, speed difference between the actual Game Boy hardware. So that was, you know, another thing I had to track down. And then I started thinking, well, I want to do this with other systems, and I have, you know, the setup here. So now all I need is a RGB capable N64, and I can capture actual N64 software. And, you know, you might say, well, why not just capture, you know, virtual console in 64 games? You know, even if I just wanted to get virtual console games, like virtual console does not run uh, in 64 games the way they originally ran. It upscales it to 640p. It adds, you know, smoothing for the the frame rate. Like in 64 games were pretty choppy. Yeah. Also, there's only a limited number of games that are on virtual console. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Especially on Wii U. Yeah. so, you know, and then that ultimately ended up in me getting an analog NT just because I started looking into the options for buying, you know, getting getting access to RGB-capable NES hardware. And all of it ended up being pretty close in price to analog NT. Like if I wanted just an NES, sure, that's like 250 bucks to buy it modded yeah. capable of RGB. But, you know, then you need to get an adapter to play Famicom games and you need another adapter to play uh, Famicom disk system games. The NT can just do all of that out of the box. So it ended up not being that much more expensive, even though people wet their pants about how much the NT costs. It's it's an investment. Like, it's going to be expensive no matter what you do, especially if you want access to all things NES and Famicom and, yeah. and 8-bit. You didn't pay very much more than I paid for uh, an AV Famicom and someone to put an NES RGB mm-hmm. in it. So, right. You know. Yeah, and I, I think there is a cheaper option coming along now. The um, oh, Kevin Horton, yeah, Kevtris's H- yeah. uh, HDMI out. The analog NT actu- actually has that as an option. But the thing about the uh, the HDMI out is that it kind of precludes doing Zapper games and Rob games. Well, it? it also there's no RGB coming out of that, right? Like it's just HDMI. So you have you there is no option to now get that into your. RGB monitor. Like, right. Like it's just HDMI. Right. That's what I the mean. The analog it, yeah, is both. Yeah. yeah. Because of that, it precludes using yeah. light guns or if, God forbid, you want to play stack up, you're going to have to do <laughs> it with a friend instead of Rob. And I also, if you. Oh, dude, that was a good slam against Rob, who's supposed to be your robotic buddy. He's no buddy he, of mine. He, just, his, he had one job. He I just pl- said he doesn't do it. He doesn't. Wow. He had two games and they were crappy. It's also. The important thing is here, if you go that route, you're still only doing NES. And I mean, I guess yeah, a lot of people only right. really care about the NES, probably. A fair amount of people or care most about the NES. But in the end, like, if you're 
doing going a different direction, like with like a FrameMeister or something, you're more it's yeah. an open ended solution. Right. The FrameMeister is nice because you know it's it's an investment right up front, and then from there. Uh, like I have since purchased a Sega Genesis and I'm waiting on an RGB cable to come in from the UK. Um, That's the cheapest RGB investment, by the way, would be a Sega Genesis. Yeah. That's so just it's cable. just, it's capable out of it, of it, yeah. out of the box. Yeah. It's great. Super Nintendo. So that was like, that was like 50 bucks and then another 20 for the cable. So that'll be great. Um, I'm, you know, based on, uh, Frank's advice for, uh, Using Swiss and, and oh, that sort of thing, uh, I'm I'm hunting down an original GameCube and Game Boy player. That'll probably be another hundred dollars. But then there's like twenty bucks for the SD loader, and I will be able to play GameCube and Game Boy Color and GBA games in their proper original resolution and HD HD RGB quality. Like it, it just keeps building. Yeah, the current at some the point current ways at some of, point there will yeah. be a PC engine. I'm gonna well, yeah, track I mean, down another PlayStation Two. I have an RGB modded PC Engine. It's uh, that's separate to the Duo I just talked about, <laughs> and that uh, you know that was its own thing. Yeah, you haven't really talked too much about this, but um, why don't you share your sordid tales of <laughs> of addiction? Well, I mean, I, it's a safe space. We can all talk openly here. I didn't go into this as as in the, the same route. I think the the vector I kind of went in was like this. I. Uh, Always, I never stopped playing old games, you know. Mm-hmm. And at some point, even when I had a, a regular CRT television, regular, God, that's no, an irregular CRT television from today's perspective, my old hardware just sort of started to be crappy. Like the reason I, I got, I have two duos now, one's RGB modded and one is, uh, one is my, other, my old one sort of refurbished, is because I realized that like there was something wrong with my duo and my original solution was like, oh, I'll just buy another one, I'll get a nice fresh one. <laughs> remember when you could do that yeah. I mean it wasn't it wasn't that it wasn't new and it wasn't it, that was like uh, f- more than five years ago but not a lot I decided to get a new duo R- RGB modded from a seller on eBay because I just wanted something that had like the lens and everything was perfect the mm-hmm. laser the whole thing had been refurbished was it uh, Dojin Dance yes it was yeah. Dojin Dance of course and then um, if you want an RGB modded uh, PC engine that, that is the eBay seller to look up yeah Dojin Dance um, and so yeah I, d- I did that, and it wasn't so much that I had this vision in my head of, like, the perfect picture, and I actually had friends who did the perfect picture thing. There was uh, – I have a friend, Ethan Stockton, who actually works at the Treehouse, and he used – when I became friends with him, it was before he worked at Nintendo, and he was l- working in Kyoto teaching English and working for the school system there, and that was sort of at the end of the CRT era um, in the mid-2000s, and at that point, Sony put out a, a, a Vega television, which was their prior, like, flat-screen CRT line – that had a direct cord for, like, the same cord that comes out of the back of the PlayStation 1, 2, and 3. Like, mm. that, that flat mm. hookup. Right, right. And it, if you had, the, like, that to that, it was an RGB. Like, mm. it was a direct RGB signal for the PlayStation 1 to that. I didn't realize PS1 could do... I, I don't know if it's actually RGB. Video quality. Okay. It the does. In, yeah. The oh. input is RGB. I'll put it that way. I don't know if the other all the systems that... No, they, they, uh, the PlayStation spits out RGB natively, so it probably is just carrying an RGB signal, but with a connector mm. that's only for the Wega. But then, of course, it's like it, the, the, the connector on the TV side is actually the same connector that's on the back of the PlayStation. It's that little rectangular mm-hmm. one. And they the just tab. made a cable that had it on both ends. Huh. And But the thing you could do is, of course, Japanese retro game fans made a cable converter that you could plug SCART cables into that thing. Nice. And that became his solution. And, like, oh. once I saw him doing this when he was living, and he, he fucking oh, – sorry, did I say fucking? <laughs> it's fine. We're grown-ups here. He, he mailed his – he C-mailed his television 
back to America. We moved back to America <laughs> wow. because he didn't want to lose this. That's a commitment. RGB capable, so natively RGB capable Sony television, which is like pretty rare device, right? I imagine, yeah. Yeah, so... And like I said before, Sony, when they made TVs, they made TVs. Like, those yeah. were built to last. So, that kind of... That was my awakening, this idea that, like, this is a thing. <laughs> and, like, you could do this thing. And, like, I, you know, I'm kind of a... Like, I'm just still rocking my 1998 Panasonic with S-Video only. And actually, for me, that leap is a happy leap. Like, yeah, I'm aware that RGB looks way better, but just that leap is enough for me. Mm-hmm. And, like, when I plugged in my Duo for the first time on the S-Video and saw that, yes, this is... Duo now looks, like, this much better, I was happy. So he's on the road that we are on, too. Yeah. He's just further back. He just, also, just doesn't well, know you it You know, yet. honestly, I'm, I'm on a different road because if it were just about my personal experience, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm willing to suffer with, you know, crappy... Not not crappy, but I don't I don't necessarily demand to ride around in a Cadillac. I'm I'm okay with you know a, a step down or two. But right. because I am doing these videos and I really want to you know create sort of an archive, like you know a document. And my my goal for Game Boy World and even beyond that is to get footage of these games, like just RGB direct capture of the actual games sure. running on actual hardware and put it out on. YouTube or even archive.org for people to download and use as as their own footage Archival for their own footage pers- of these products before it's impossible basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, like that's that that was my incentive for you know tracking down an RGB monitor for the NES because there is no such thing on the internet as like HD uh, you know high definition RGB direct capture of Nintendo light gun games. Yeah. And that's stuff that people are going to want to talk about and create videos about, like, you know, Duck Hunt. You, you can see stuff from emulators or whatever, but it's just, it's not it's not authentic. And I, I feel like there is a need for that footage to exist out there for people to be able to reference and mm-hmm. draw from. And uh, I, I haven't made a lot of headway in, in doing that, but it's, it's definitely something that's important to me. But even then, there is no such thing as perfect, right? No. So, like... Uh, and for the, example, what drives me crazy about uh, the NES uh, and the NES RGB or the analog NT, which I think is just using the NES RGB, mm-hmm. is that it's defining a color palette. There's no such thing as an NES color palette. It's a series of voltages that are being sent to your television. And so you just kind of have to make a color palette digitally that looks like what that looks like. And I actually, you know, in development of Mega Man Legacy Collection, I don't agree with any of the palettes that are out there. Like including the one in our game, to be honest with you. Like, be, so there, there's that ex- extra level of like, well, it's still not perfect, and you kind of have to just well, that's the, cut it off at some point. That's the big difference between analog and digital again, which is like, you know, th- like for modern color representation on monitors. Sure, different companies have technologies that have different warmth or coldness or whatever, but like, there's like standards. There's a reference mm-hmm. standard. There was reference standards at the time too, but ultimately, like, there's huge variance yeah. in televisions. We all had our like, like I played a lot of my. Uh, NES and TurboGrafx, especially on a Commodore monitor that was for my C64 that just happens to have, like, a really good it's picture. great monitor, yeah. And that, like, is my sort of my mental... In my my brain, that's, like, what the TurboGrafx looks like is, like, that picture. But, like, you know, or, like, the crappy little television is my NES, right? Like, that in my brain. I had, not, I had like, a 13-inch television or whatever when I was a mm-hmm. kid that my, I got for my birthday. And that was what I played, like, Mega Man 2 on. And, like, that's part of why we'll never arrive at this sort of agreement right. in a way. Like, what is... There's no, like... 
There there's, is there's no, no, it's not a film, you know. You're not yeah. scanning an image, you know. Like yeah. it's it's a right. it's, it's a generating series. an image. It's, yeah, it's exactly and and uh, yeah. And I, I there are some things I realize I'm not going to be able to do perfectly, but right. you know something like color. That's something you can adjust in post processing. Yep. Mm-hmm. You can say, okay, I've got this footage, and it's like really crisp and clean, and it's you know the the audio is completely accurate. And, you know, it's running at the proper frame rate. I'm seeing, like, the right flashing for flicker and yep. things like that. Yep. And I don't quite – I don't like the shade of blue, but I can go into Premiere or After Effects and I can I can change that value. Absolutely. And so that that's my goal is, like, you know, provide the best possible footage for people. Like, this is, this is really important to me and I don't know yeah. why exactly, but it's something that I really feel like it needs to be done and no one else is doing it. Like, there are, you know – People I, can't, who, I can't relate to that at all. <laughs> well, there's also you know there, there there are channels out there that, like on YouTube. There's there's a channel I I borrow from a lot and, and always credit for Game Boy World called World of Long Plays that has you know like full playthroughs of hundreds of NES games and other platforms too, but it's always running off an emulator. So I know like it's just not quite right. Well, this is the thing we we're talking about, like uh, Frank, when we we're talking about the, the what you do with Mega Man, which is that like another thing is that old TVs did not have a like okay. Consoles had an output resolution, but then that was dumped into a television that just filled the screen with that yep. signal yep. in a way that modern displays don't. And you, this went around on Twitter a while ago of like, you know, like people say this looks like this, oh, but really yeah. it's... Yeah, here's that, what indie game that, developers uh, That was think, a Gamma yeah. Sutra post, wasn't it? Uh, okay. There was the snarky tweet that was like, that I saw. And then, yes, there's the... the, um, the uh, Super win the game. Oh yeah, his blog post like embedded that image in it. And it, yeah. but but it was much more in depth than just making a, a criticism. Right. It was actually it's an incredible post in my opinion. But it's um, a great post. I don't agree with everything there. Sure, but yeah, like it it was good because it ra- raised awareness of right. of what we're talking about here. Because like ultimately, you know, we talked about this, Frank, that you made the Mega Man image four three. But when you dump an NES into a digital signal like an emulator or whatever. It's not a 4-3 image. I don't right. know what the actual aspect ratio is, but at the pixel resolution with square 256 pixel. 256 by 240. But like what the – I mean it's not 4-3. It's something something. Right. Oh, sure, sure, yeah, sure. No, and it's – I don't know the exact math. It's it's like – It's like know. 1, 1. 1.2 or something. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's, <laughs> well, and, well, it's it's, it's like, almost square. It's around uh, 8-7 is, is okay. around where it is. So it's, yeah, it's the, almost well, square. Okay. The thing is like when that was being output to a CRT, it didn't matter because the TV here would. were the boundaries of the television and the yeah. picture would just fill that frame. Yep. So then you have you know stuff like when people emulate CPS1 games – those were at like some really sort of bizarre ultra wide resolution, right? Which would stretch which, up, right? Yeah, and so it would look properly proportioned. But when you just see CPS one emulation grabs, which yeah. is like everyone looks Street super, Fighter like everyone two. looks stretched out and wide. Like every Sega Genesis screenshot in Moby Games mm-hmm. was fat, and it, it took like, me a long time to yeah. realize. No, the Sega Genesis was not outputting like three to two. Yeah, it was it was sending out those signals. Yeah, but then that was being scrunched, so the the image should look like like. For super ghouls and ghosts should look like you know yep. ghosts and goblins, like it's it's the same thing. Like it didn't the same matter on a television to the era because all they had to do was get like a roughly the right shape display, and they were developing on at the same time. I mean, they were drawing their pixel art on typically, monitors. yeah, typically they were right. Like they were they were drawing the pixel art on monitors that were adjusting for that anyway. So they, so they were, and then they were sending this all like when they were playtesting and whatever they were playtesting on CRTs as well. Like the point was, these systems put out a roughly four three image, and the TV compensated for whatever mm-hmm. the actual issue is. And uh, 
I don't know, it's kind of fascinating, all the things we don't think about, right? Yeah, and I, I, you know, when I would post articles and things like that, I was always really big on getting emulation grabs and and scaling them carefully so that they didn't get stretched, distorted. But I was still posting like Genesis images, three twenty by two forty, right? But, but that's just not two. what they really yeah. looked like. No. So yeah, it creates these these complicated questions. You want, you, you want to know how we did it in Mega Man? Because I, I think this is the way you do it. Um, so. We take the 256 by 240 image, which is square pixels, which is wrong, uh, and we scale it times four uh, exactly, right? Uh, like in Photoshop, it's the equivalent of nearest neighbor. Mm-hmm. So like one pixel becomes four pixels and there's no distortion. Mm-hmm. So we now have this, what, 960p or something image in the center of the screen? That would be uh, times three, yeah. Yeah, or, or yeah, you're right, it's three. It's, but, we, but we scale it exact and then... Oh, uh, no, that is time four. Never it mind. is times four, right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't do math and talk. I'm, yeah, I'm terrible. <laughs> uh, so we, so we, we have that exact 4x image. And then as we're talking about, like, the, the NES would stretch it a little bit wider. So we have 4x square pixels, picture, like, pixel perfect. And then we stretch it horizontally just a little bit by linear filter. By linear is what you use to stretch, like, a photograph, mm-hmm. right? So when you're playing Mega Man Legacy Collection, uh, it looks, yeah, like, you can, you can define every pixel. Like, it looks razor sharp mostly to the human eye, but if you really examine it, there is a slight blur just horizontally, and that's just because that's the only way to do that. And uh, as displays get higher, you know, if we if we did a 4K version of Mega Man, um, you know, it would just get sharper and sharper right. and, until you just cannot perceive any blur at all. Well, I mean, eventually there would be a point at which the resolution is so high that you wouldn't need to do the the nearest neighbor. You could multiply it by like, you know, uh, horizontally by nine and and vertically by twelve or whatever. Sure, yeah. But we're, we, that, that that would be a ways away. It's still. yeah. It's, it's there's it's there somewhere. And and I know there's another Gama Sutra post about uh, someone doing MS DOS screenshots where. Mm-hmm. He blew it up to like eight by seven or something, and then shrunk it down. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that one too. Yeah, there's some weird, awesome stuff in our blogs. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, sort of interesting side note. I don't know how much time we have left, but uh, like half an hour. Okay, cool. Um, so, you know, I I display an RGB because I'm like it's the cleanest signal. It looks the best. But there's that other argument, which is. Were they actually meant to be seen like this? Because consumer televisions were not. Right. So, like, were the game artists making these, you know, did were they hoping that people would be able to see their art perfectly, pixel by pixel? Yeah. Or I've, were they drawing with, the, with, with, with composite in mind? And, my, my sort of favorite example of that is Link's eyebrows, which is, like, something where I'd never noticed until recently. Link yeah. has green eye, little green eyebrows, one pixel eyebrows. Yeah. And it's, like... My theory, not that I've ever asked anyone, was that, like, on a CRT television with a nice blurry 1980s image, that green just sort of did something to the hue of his face that was, like, not perceptible as distinctive green pixels. When you look at a Link Sprite, and I just bought this pillow at Toys R Us that's, like, a perfect (laughs) Link Sprite that's, like, you know, like, I don't know, 
eight inches by eight. It's inches so weird that you can even buy that at Toys R Us. Yes, I know, but like it's a, it's an official World of Nintendo product, and he has the two little green eyebrows. I noticed this before that, but like it's yeah. like that looks really weird, but. It's only because of, like, the clarity of emulation that we even know that, you know, back in right. the day, no one would have probably even been able to perceive those existed because they sort of but, blended into the color. But at the same time, products like the Famicom titler did exist. Right, like, but that was... I, I know that, you know, that wasn't a, the assumption. Like, this is how people are going to be playing the games. But, like, that resource was there for developers who, like, they, they could target that. Like, that, that was sort of the optimal way to play an NES game. But... I think, you know... But is that what they intended? I mean, like... Probably not. Like, there's 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 tons of examples like Link's eyebrows. I mean, even, you know... I hate to... I'm not... I, I hate to... I keep sounding like a shill to myself because I keep bringing up Mega Man, but that's just where, what I've spent this entire no, year doing. No, it's fine. I mean, this is... <laughs> yeah. Like, you've been, you've yeah. been dealing with this as a real-world application. Right. And, like, you know, there's... Like, on the character select screens, uh, you know, if you're playing pure pixel, there's, there's like, subtle, like... Uh, like shadowing on like jaw lines and stuff that like if you're playing razor sharp pixels they just look like some random pixels on a face mm-hmm. but then if you play on a TV or you know even our TV filter uh you know you turn that on like you you kind of your your eye perceives like shadowing like 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 more, yeah, more the, colors um, are introduced the transparency meshes on Sega Genesis right. kind of the famous example like Sonic by a waterfall yeah Sega Genesis could not do true transparency in the hardware the way Super NES could. But if you so dither, they would, yeah, yeah, they would create a dithering effect, you know, just like, you know, on a Macintosh yeah. uh, back when they were black and white. Um, and that would create the impression of transparency or translucency. Which only works with the color bleed of, right. of, of Composite or RF or whatever. Right. And if you if you play Sonic in RGB, it looks like a like dithered art, you know? So... Um, you know, at least with Mega Man, it's like we made sure all three options were in there because uh, we always just went back to what was artist intent. And it's like, we don't know. We don't ever, we won't ever know. And even if you sat them all down, there would be no definitive answer. Right. They were making this game in like four months or whatever, the Mega yeah. Man games. It's not like they were sitting there thinking, like stroking their chins with all like, this well, time. Well, it doesn't have any bugs and it doesn't break, so let's go. But it, but it's not that so much as like, you know, it's entirely feasible that they're drawing the sprite and going like, oh, if I put this sprite here, it yeah. creates this illusion. Oh, I 100% yeah, agree yeah, 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 no. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yes. and, uh, I, there was a great blog post that I saw. Oh, actually, I think it might have been in I Am Error, um, mm. talking about the difference in uh, like facial portraits um, with I think Mighty Final Fight and Rambo. Oh, uh, like oh yeah, Rambo yeah, for NES yeah. looks kind of bad. That was not uh, that was I Am Error, unless I haven't. If it's later in the book, it might be. Later I remember that, that blog post. Uh, I know what you're talking about. That was. I think that was on Gamma Sutra, honestly. Yeah, okay, that's too. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we're the. That's why I have you guys in here because you know everything about. We're, this. we're the hotbed for. Granted, I didn't write any of these blog posts, and we no, really I should link them out to people. You're, you're, you're I don't the wanna, curator. I don't want to take credit where it's not due, but yeah, we should. Uh, yeah, exactly. The Rambo was sort of cartoony and awkward, and the uh, Mighty Final Fight is representative and and. Right, and it's, under more, it's more abstract, but it reads better. Right, yeah. you look at it, yeah. and especially on you know a television. Where you know the 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 pixel blur and the bleed is is oh and even the scan lines that get skipped yeah. you know we didn't talk about scan lines but uh, you know the the when you had a 240p signal like a Genesis or a, a Super Nintendo don't or you mean 240i 240p oh really yeah it's 240p uh, and, and and when it you're becomes just, 480i oh I no, it actually doesn't well on an old television like like you, you put your NES in a television and it only draws 240 
uh, lines, and it skips every other line. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. It never yeah. draws the, inter- it never draws the intervening in between. lines. Yeah. Right. Like, oh. if you're watching television, it does. It's okay. 480i. Okay, now I understand. Uh, but yeah, that's what the scan lines are. It's yeah. the, the lines being skipped. What we call scan lines, which are, is actually inaccurate, but that's okay. <laughs> like, But but the those skipped lines would also add, you know, some some depth and dimension to this art that, that wasn't there before. And, you know, I... I tend to be of the camp that that uh, that art was catered to displays of the time. Yeah, uh, and and absolutely. Yeah, so it's you know there is that argument that RGB is kind of you know uh, like showing you. It, it, there's there's sort of an argument in my head anyway that RGB is like when you uh, when you take the footage of an old TV show that was shot in 4.3 and then show what was in the borders. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I, I saw a blog post recently about the, the HD remastering of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, right? And and it's what you would expect when there's when when they're showing you what was on the rest of the film in, in, in widescreen. It's like there's a cameraman in the background. You know? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's actually we watched some of that on Netflix and it's weird because it's yeah. just like – Clearly, this wasn't supposed to be like this. Yeah. Like they expected all that stuff to get sliced the hell off. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. So, you know, there's, there's sort of that argument that displaying a game perfectly is you're seeing the flaws that are there. You yeah. Know, you're, not, you're not seeing things that were literally not on screen, but you're seeing now dithering in, in the waterfall where it was before you saw a waterfall. But on the other hand, like that – is how I wanted to see my games. Like I yeah. wanted, <laughs> no, same. I yeah. wanted clarity. No personal yeah. preference for me and you is yes, I want that clarity. But and again, you know, with capturing the archival footage, oh, you can if do anything. Wants in post. to do yeah. something, some kind of crazy yeah. NTSC filter on it in post processing. Go for it. Yep. I want to ask you a question that you didn't really touch on back when you talked about the FrameMeister. Sure, but to, oh, to both of you. Sure. So you throw things into the FrameMeister, put it on an HDTV. Yeah. We didn't really talk about it. It's like how satisfying is that, as especially both as compared to a nice CRT signal and compared to just plugging it in straight into a, an HDTV? Um, well, when you say satisfying, what do you mean exactly? Like as a guy who likes to play NES and have it look so good. So you know, it's, like... it's a big – I wish Mike Micah could be here. He's at PAX. But mm. like he runs a FrameMeister and just uses composite. Because, like, in his mind, composite is is what these games are supposed to go like. Right. And but, it makes composite and S-Video look great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a world of difference between just plugging your NES mm-hmm. in an HDTV. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like, oh, right, this is what they look like. Okay. Um, yeah, the, so it not only upscales appropriately, you can actually put a, a fake scan line mm-hmm. uh, right. layer that, over yeah. it. And, and it actually, you know, it to me, they look great. Like, I, I'm, I'm fairly satisfied. If I didn't have... An RGB monitor literally next to that TV, you know, I I would be fairly satisfied. Right, and like, my my RGB monitor is eight inches, mm-hmm. so um, I'm totally happy to have my forty inch television. Yeah. with an NES image being spit out into RGB and then thrown up on the television screen with scan lines, it looks phenomenal. Okay, like it just it's I can't believe how good it looks when I finally got it it set up and you know everything just produced just right it's so good i mean it looks like, like let's face it it looks like an emulator you know but it's but it's actual hardware mm-hmm. right i mean there there is a certain kind of warmth to it and sure. even even uh it's not perfect it's it's flawed like it is um you know it's running an rgb signal and the uh the frame meister actually introduces some it some does. artifacting. Yeah. So in areas of big, you know, flat color, like you get a lot on NES, you'll see this kind of shimmering and distortion. 
And I'm okay with that. Like that's, you know, that's an artifact of authenticity. It, it, it makes me sound like an asshole. I know like one of those guys <laughs> who's like, well, you know, music can only be properly appreciated on the original vinyl. Right. Or tube amp, like, yeah, like, or whatever. but, yeah. but like there's a psychological satisfaction in knowing, yeah, I'm actually playing the game. But but I don't even need that to to enjoy it. Yeah. Like I you know before I, I went this route, I bought an, a Retron Five. Yeah, I have one. And it too. was it was okay, but it was it was doing things that I knew weren't right. Yeah, the Retron like, Five isn't right, but it does the job if the job is to get these games on a television. Yeah, right, and know? it was fine for that. But then I was noticing things like every few seconds there would be like this weird like glitch because the the frame cycle the the frame rates were weren't quite syncing up properly so it would skip or yeah. duplicate a frame um sometimes things wouldn't appear the way they were supposed to the sound wasn't quite perfect i mean there are there are some issues with the uh, the, the retron that i don't want to get into <laughs> the emulators were stolen yeah but i mean even beyond that like no, Unless let's not go beyond that. They yeah. stole emulators. They stole software. Screw those guys. Yeah, and I didn't know about that at the time yeah, that I, I, I bought the Retron. I had one yeah. pre-ordered, so it was like, oh, well, that's great. I, I feel less bad about abandoning It's just some, one of those things that not that many people know, and I like to say whenever I get the opportunity. They stole emulators. Go on. No, that's fine. <laughs> um, it is pretty crappy. Uh, but, yeah, like, it's just the, the experience is different. Mm-hmm. And, you know... My my big frustration with the Retron Five actually came when I wanted to run Game Boy software in the Super Game Boy, and it wouldn't read that. Like it would read mm. the individual games, but because it's not real hardware, it's just like an emulator, they and the emulator the wasn't programmed to read a Super NES game in a Super Game Boy. I think it's had a firmware up, update since then, but that was the point at which I said, no, I just need to do this on, you know either a dedicated Super NES clone hardware or then eventually an actual Super NES. So, you know, that's that's pretty fussy. I think most people would play a Retron 5 and have a great experience or, you know, any kind of emulator-type system along those lines. I don't. I certainly don't think less of people who are like, hey, here's a $100 system where I can play my games and I can feel good about uh, actually owning the games mm-hmm. and not just, you know, downloading ROMs. Uh, yeah. You know, the... It does make the the emulator piracy element yeah. of it unfortunate yeah, because it, it kind, kind of, of undermines the. You to, yeah, the thing for me with it the forces you to support eBay sellers with your dollars <laughs> as opposed to the original. Yeah, that too. Creators, so for me, the retron, I don't care. For me, the retron was like I wanted to use the original controllers and not uh, a Xbox 360 pad or whatever you end up using on sure. the PC. You know, that was the, that was the appeal to me in a way, but. Um, it's a great option if 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 you if if what you want to do is play old cartridges on your TV. It's yeah. there's you know but and yeah, like, you know, playing morals aside, there's nothing wrong with playing it. you know something like Hagan uh, or however you pronounce it on your computer is an even better option because it's a much more accurate emulator and you're getting yeah. something much closer to the proper experience and yeah. it has a, a boatload of options more than the Frame Meister for how you display. Yep. you can put those. Sh- uh, those utter garbage filters on there if you want. <laughs> That's fine. I-, I won't hate you for it, but it makes me a little sad. Super inside. Eagle. Yay, SAI. <laughs> and also the over, over, over curvature. The, mm. You know, people who really get into the CRT oh, curvature yeah. thing, which I like, can't. I've never seen good curvature. I can't deal with it. There's zero curvature in Mega Man. Like, we just... We, we we identified that as not being a thing. Yeah, some of those want. curvature filters, I'm like, were you playing on a television manufactured in 1955? Rarely. 
Um, Rare replay is otherwise great, but that CRT filter is garbage. But again, you know, all that stuff's optional. You yeah. can you can add it. You can take it away. I like for people to have options. Um, it's so funny, the, the 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 direction that I've taken my collection and and the stuff I own mm-hmm. is a valid option. But you know, just emulating that's valid too. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I, really I was just curious about what's the what people's gut feelings are on these different. So I, I I would rather people play on a Retron than plug their vintage consoles into an HDTV. <laughs> like I would. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. I wish Virtual Console were better. Like that that had so much potential when it first launched uh, on Wii. Better in which way? Well, um, it had better support. Like yeah. there was a wide like the Wii Virtual Console was a different creature than any yeah. other Virtual Console. You know what I like best about the Wii Virtual Console is two forty p. Well, yeah, it's it spit out the, the the different resolutions for different systems. They didn't because it was that was built into hardware. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't, and it wasn't just two forty p. Well, was the like Wii the was the pixel. Wii was designed not for HDTVs. It was designed for CRTs. Right, but it's like it's not just it's not just two forty p because we're now in, we're, it's now a digital system. We're now spitting out pixels, but it it had in hardware support for the different resolutions for the Genesis and the Super Nintendo. Uh, if you play a Turbo Graphics game on the Wii, it's kind of blurry because mm. they didn't build in that resolution support. Oh, but, interesting, yeah. But sure. Wii Virtual Console uh, on a on a CRT or even through a FrameMeister, frankly, is is a really good option. I'm I'm really sad that I transferred all my Wii software because I had a huge Virtual Console collection. To Wii U because the Wii U just doesn't have that yeah. that original 240p output. It's not right. it's not available. And virtu- Wii Wii U Virtual Console looks really bad. Yeah, actually, it was funny. I, so we were kind of playing around with Legacy Collection, not to turn this into Legacy Collection show, <laughs> but like, and we decided to load up uh, Mega Man Three on Virtual Console on the Wii U and just sort of flip the video the, the input. Oh, I haven't done that yet. I want to. Uh, it's that. very dark. Yeah. Uh, the the Wii U comparatively to Legacy Collection. Legacy Collection is very bright, but it was also interesting to see that Nintendo also did four three. It's not that weird. Oh, really? Did they? Pixel. That's good. Yeah. That's good. But like, um, it's uh, I don't know. It's it's interesting to see again also other interpretations of the kind of issues we're raising. Right. Yeah. Like it's there's no. I guess we're making this sound super complicated, and it is. But I think for a lot of people, like what would make them happy is like either. Find a decent CRTV, CRT TV that is like in good shape and go with whatever better than composite input it has. Or if if you if you are not satisfied, yeah, yeah right. Or yeah. or or get a Framemeister if you want to use original hardware and right. like and and that sounds like that would satisfy most people who are are trucking with along with an HD display and don't want to deal with having a large glass. Yeah, maybe maybe, maybe you need like like an infographic of recommendations, right? Like, <laughs> it's wait, not a bad where, idea. Where are you on this poll, mm. right? <laughs> How far gone are you? Yeah, can because your soul be saved? I like play. Like, I have a retron, like we talked about, and I play. We play plenty of games on the retron, but like, there's always a part of me that like nags me over to the other corner of the room, <laughs> where I know that CRT is waiting for me, yeah. and if I just you know play on that, I know I'm going to be really happy. And I guess it's because I was there, at, you know, like. We're talking about like these different things about what, what kind of the artists who made these games, what were they expecting, what kind of displays mm-hmm. were they expecting. But for me, you know, as as I became like a teenager, and you know, generation came into like PlayStation One era, I had this awareness that I just want to get a better picture for these games, right? Like that was the, like I felt that march forward, and I ended up at this one television or whatever and way of doing it. Yeah. So that to me is like it's a nostalgia thing, sure. Like I can't mm-hmm. say it's objectively correct, but like I guess that's. 
my sticking point or whatever, like yeah. a nice CRT television. I, I think going all the way like Jeremy and I did is 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 a certain type of person that both Jeremy and I are. You know, the the type of person that or and, and even you, right? Sickness. Like 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 that that becomes a video game journalist for a living. That yeah. like, that decides that the world needs you know high quality real footage of Game Boy games. Yeah, like, I mean, like you know, I started a website in 2003 because I wasn't satisfied with the NES ROMs that were out there, and right. I, wa- I wanted the ones that I wasn't supposed to the have. The world needs. You know? I mean, I, clear faithful footage of Flipple. And yeah, I wrote just, like it's an not oral be history of the Turbo Graphics yeah. release. Like I'm the kind of person who cares about this. So thing, it's you know? not just care. It's like <laughs> we want to go a little deeper than we're supposed to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and I you're think right. if, if you're in of that mindset, then you know this this is this is a this is a road that you should be wary of because it will pull you in. Right. <laughs> it's it's kind of like Inception. You can go deeper, but there's a chance that you're never going to be able to get out again. Right. <laughs> and I don't regret it at all. I've probably you know I've probably invested I don't know f- like all the systems and equipment and the monitor and everything. You know, probably like fifteen hundred dollars over the last decade. You know that's not that bad. I, I got my I got my 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 monitor in two thousand five, and it's just been like slowly integrating things mm-hmm. into that setup. And like for a hobby, fifteen hundred dollars over a decade—that's nothing. It's not that bad. Yeah. I mean, if you talk about like people who like work on cars or some other, sure. like or like expensive sports equipment yeah. or whatever, like this is yeah, not collecting that big baseball of... cards, collecting comic books, collecting video games. Yeah. like hey. Nintendo World Champion or not World Championship, uh, the, the track and fitness game, whatever the hell uh, that's stadium called. Stadium events. Stadium events. Yes, that's yeah. twenty thousand dollars. Yeah. Air raid. That's twenty thousand dollars. You yeah. know, this is this is nothing. <laughs> yeah, because this isn't about owning the physical thing. It's just like, no, I want to play things to my satisfaction. Yeah. And and for me, it's not even that. It's more like I want to chronicle things. Yeah. And honestly, I've I've spent far more more money just getting original Game Boy software in packaging to scan and photograph it. Yeah. That's been far, far more expensive than than the games. I don't I don't want to think how much I've put into that. I'll I'll figure it out when I do my taxes this year. <laughs> it's also worth pointing out that like these are issues that is not just like people like museums and stuff are also struggling with like yep. how will they in the future present these works. Which is something yeah, I mean there there were Artworks that were created specifically to display on televisions. Mm-hmm. I, I remember going to the MoMA in New York, uh, like 2001, 2002, and there were like art exhibitions that were, you know, on broadcast monitors. Yeah. They were. It was like someone made an art exhibition that was just like a soup. It was basically a supercut of um, the car in Starsky and Hutch. Like that was an art ex- exhibition. I was like, okay, that's that's not quite what I would consider art, but you know, whatever. You know, art the, is I, art. I, but I, like, what what happens with that right. that creation mm-hmm. when those televisions no longer exist? Is that artist vision still being valid? Presented. Yeah, yeah. And I think you know, in a museum situation, yeah, you can maintain televisions, and I think that's kind of what they're doing. Uh, interestingly, when I went to the opening of the art exhi- uh, art of video games at the Smithsonian. The, the exhibit right next to it at the Smithsonian was video art, like just by pure coincidence. So like the Smithsonian is still maintaining CRT televisions for video art, you know, that was done in the 90s or something. And uh, for a museum setting, like I suspect that they will just keep maintaining televisions as long as they can. Um, you know, I I think we're a long ways off from the last like television in the a museum. The last dinosaur, yeah. You know, like <laughs> yeah. I don't think – I don't that, that might that you know the human race will probably be wiped out before that happens but uh for consumers like us you know that's that 
I, I think it's going to be within our lifetimes that that, that uh, acquiring a CRT just becomes not impossible, but you know, improbable. Yeah, unreasonably expensive and, yeah. and difficult. Yeah. I mean, it's already a pain in the butt to ship them or anything because they're right. huge and heavy. Well, yeah. that's why they're all getting th- tossed right now. Like, like right. I said at the beginning of the show, we are in the exact time and place right now at the recording of this show uh, where you can still get PS2 games cheap, but also where you can <laughs> you you can just get a CRT television uh, fairly uh, easily, even a good one, just by going on Craigslist or you know driving around until you find one. Yeah, and and you know if you don't live someplace like. San Francisco, LA, New York City, it's even hard to find that sort of thing on Craigslist. Like yep. I've been I've been scouring Craigslist for months looking for a PVM. Well, and PVMs are hard, but just yeah, a, but I a mean, television. Like, you know, the 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 ones that I really want. And there's like one available about two hours away and it's a twenty nine inch screen. Yeah. I'm like, I can't fit that in my little tiny car. Yeah. There's no way. So do I want to rent a van in addition to the expense of what they're asking for the television? That's you know, like it it becomes this kind of daunting proposition at a certain point. When I got my PVM in 2005, I lived in Las Vegas and I bought it from someone in Los Angeles and drove to get it. <laughs> it was just like, this is what I have to do. Uh, but, you know, luckily I had friends in Los Angeles and it was 50 bucks for the TV. Yeah, that's a good deal. That's a it's real good the, deal. Worth a drive. Yeah. Six hour drive. LA to Vegas. So, I, re- I, I recommend it. It's fun. about is, uh, you know, I touched on the fact that, like, I had to have the guts of, like, two of my TurboGrafx hardware is replaced, you know, pretty much. Yep. And it was also the other thing that, that, that and I, I would recommend this guy, TurboGrafx fan on eBay. He just has a classified up. That's his username. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing he did is he took my wonky drive mechanism and tweaked it. The, the drive, another aspect of things that, that, that was not being built to last, oh, the actual CD drive mechanism of TurboGrafx is, like, a disposable piece of consumer electronics, and it has a crappy little plastic gear in it that regulates it that just goes all off in the space, basically. It loses ability to, to track data properly. Sort of like the PlayStation, right? Plastic I'm not gear. sure if it's the same problem, but it's definitely the same level of, of like, this is just going to stop. Like, my my, my, my original TurboGrafx stopped reading the CD audio on Dracula X, and once your TurboGrafx can't really deal with Dracula X, like, why do you have the damn thing? <laughs> so, uh, so it became kind of you know okay. You know, so so yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. I was saying the question I'm getting at is so there's hardware failures like that, are, and there's are there other failures like the thing that interests me about the analog NT is that like they scrape the processors out of old Famicoms mm-hmm. because there's no way to get the Rico uh, what is it yeah the video chip uh, the whatever it's called twenty eight twenty two A O three or whatever yeah. like the original Famicom processor. Uh, NTSC version is like not a thing that's made either. Rico is not pumping these out anymore. Like, does the silicon degrade? Does the do the boards mm. degrade? Like, do cartridges are they like? I have tons of cartridges. I don't use them all all the time. Um, my NES cartridges all still work. My SNES cartridges, right? Like, some yeah. are wonky. Some have always been a little bit wonky. Like, is that? 
Those like, have a really good shelf life. Yeah, like, I'm just curious. I, I, the last I heard was like hundreds of years. Yeah, as long uh, as you don't use Brasso on the contacts. Oh, yeah. is Brasso a bad thing? Because when you search on like uh, on like HG101's art article on Brasso like comes up right away if you talk oh. about like cartridge cleaning. Like, I so. thought that was bad. I, I'm not sure. Uh, There's something that's bad. <laughs> Nothing caustic, please. Um, Retrobrite on, on your console shell is a popular thing to do, but it does eat the plastic off it right. and uh, mm-hmm. make it brittle and uh, easy to break. Um, but I think I think moving parts, right, is kind of the answer to your question. Sure, moving like, parts are always the most Moving parts are, are what's dying now. I mean, like, all of our disk-based systems are going to stop working. Though uh, it is worth mentioning that you can still buy replacement, like, laser mechanisms. For yep. Most of them still are, like, being, I guess, either either still being manufactured or they're giant stockpiles of them that were ju- pumped out when they were, like, uh, they're off-the-shelf parts for the mm-hmm. most part. So. But even happier than that is that we are just starting within the last year or so to, to see uh, drive emulators. Not software emulators, but, like, a piece of hardware you can put in your system that... That's, that emulates what the CD drive was doing so that you could then load images onto it without any moving parts happening. So now you're that, saying, like, you could take, I don't know if you're talking about PlayStation or what system yeah. can you... Yeah, but, uh, there's one in development for PlayStation. Uh, there's two of them already out for Dreamcast. Uh, there's a Saturn one in development. The 3DO one was the first one I know of. So you can put... Uh, for example, the Dreamcast ones tend to use SD cards. And, you know, we're getting into piracy here, but, like, we're going to hit a point where you kind of have to, you know, if your disk drive is just toast. Um, and that doesn't have to be piracy. You could rip your own disks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, But this is an alternative to those moving parts. Um, I just got something called the FDS stick, which I'm a big fan of. Have you seen this? I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, so the Famicom disk system, you know, that disk drive, just that, that belt's going to wear Speaking out. Speaking of it's... not expecting things to last for mm-hmm. the oh, perpetuity, yeah. like Nintendo, oh, yeah. Is, yeah, that thing is disposable. That thing lasts like a year. But uh, So you have the disk drive itself, right, and you have the RAM adapter card that actually goes in the NES. Uh, the FDS stick is this tiny little white thumb drive uh, with USB on one end, and the other end is the is the adapter for the ribbon ribbon cable for the RAM cart, and so you load disk ROMs through USB, and then this just acts as a Famicom disk system. The, the, but you the can the only put like one at a time, right? Uh, eight discs, eight eight sides at a time. Okay, yeah. But and the, then the, there's the, a button on it to to like you press a button the number of sides you want, and then it loads it in. Mm-hmm. And it's and uh, Functionally, I mean, it, it is proper. It's it is functionally a Famicom disk system. There's no software emulation happening. The RAM it. adapter thinks it's just attached to a regular drive. Yeah, exactly. Works. And and then the, and then the 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 disk is just doing exactly what the the disk drive would do, which is push that data out into that ribbon cable and then load it into RAM in the cartridge. So, you know, stuff like that's great. Like uh, the PSIO is the name of, the, of that thing. Um, so. I I suspect that you know the future of a lot of these disk drives is is replacements with with non-moving parts with SSD drives and things like that. Because we're also getting to a point with where computer hardware, like new a lot of new, new laptops don't have optical drives in them. Like optical right. yeah, drives are are on their way to going in the direction of CRTs at this right. point. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So like even emulation at a certain point, like I have a giant stack of PC Engine games and I, I've Tons of PlayStation games, Saturn games, whatever. But at some point, like, they're just going to be pretty shiny things that I could hang on a Christmas tree. Like, there's yep. not going to be a way to get data off of them anymore at a certain point. At a certain point. But it's going to happen in my lifespan. Yeah. Again, it w- not without, like, seeking obscure hardware, mm-hmm. right? Which, you know, will exist, but uh, will become as hard to come by as CRTs will, you know? 
And that is the sad future of video games. <laughs> Everything Man, dies. It's, it's not as bad as pinball. We no. At least got that going wow. for us. Yeah, pinball. <laughs> how, how many pinball tables do you think no longer exist in the world? Like how many? <laughs> how many? Like, what percentage like don't like, exist? Yeah, they, like what percentage well, of literally millions concepts, are yeah. just gone? Yeah. I, I oh, don't mean concepts, like number sorry. number of tables manufactured. I mean like pinball games that were created of which there is no longer an extant version. I don't think there's actually that many. To really be honest, because uh, pinball collectors started early. Like Tim Arnold in Vegas was starting in the '80s, and he was running arcades before that. Um, yeah, but I'm talking uh, like but, but machines, talking, you know, from like the '30s, yeah, 40s. the '30s stuff. Yeah, that stuff's probably mostly gone. But you know, there's also the argument of like, was that actually pinball? You know, it was, it was more like pachinko or something. Yeah, uh, but it was still you know an evolutionary part, step. Yeah, yeah it, it's. It's probably similar to silent films, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's like no one bothered to hold on to that stuff or cared to, or even now no one really cares. Because like, you know, we, we have the examples of the important ones. We have like the first one. We have, you know, the first Gottlieb one. So um, I'm no pinball expert, but uh, yeah, I'm sure a lot of those early sort of probably knockoff tables are gone. So, yeah, I mean, I, I assume, you know, that, that sort of thing is already happening with video games, like mm-hmm. old PC games. We were talking in the, uh, the HAL episode about how in the early days of PC game development uh, in, in Japan and in the U.S. And, and the U.K., it was just like two or three dudes making yeah. a game that they put onto a few five and a quarter inch discs. That they literally put in a Ziploc Most bag them, and yeah. go to their local store yeah. and say, will you sell like, this? Like, yeah. I'm sure almost none of those are notable. Yeah. But... Still, it's a piece of history. That's I did. Gone. You know what? No, the, the, here's I. I found a notable thing that that doesn't exist. Uh, okay. I don't remember the name of the game, but I read an interview with Brian Fargo, founder mm-hmm. of Interplay. Mm-hmm. You know, guy who's doing like Wasteland Two and stuff now. Like, really important guy, right? Right. I, I read an interview with him in an issue of Video Games and Computer Entertainment from like 1989 or something, and he mentions the name of his first game, which he sold on floppy. That game doesn't exist. Like so, like Brian Fargo's first game, which was commercially sold, does not exist now. As far right. as I, I would say, something like Akalabeth is the exception to the rule. Yeah, like there are still copies of Akalabeth. Right. That Richard Garriott created before Ultima. Right. And sold in a Ziploc bag, like dozens of copies, hundreds of copies. And yeah. even if not, like you can still find those, but that's. That's unusual. That yeah. data has also been ripped and preserved, and there's always going to be right. images mm-hmm. of that disc mm-hmm. anyway. But once something disappears, there's there's but no. He he remade Akalabeth. Like there was a remake like two years ago, and it includes the original version of the game in it. Oh, that's cool. So like that. that's cool, but that's again totally the exception. Yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, this is this is kind of getting into a different discussion. <laughs> yeah, don't than the, don't put the me topic. on my don't put me on my how do we save Farmville rant. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even if you, you don't think Farm Bill is worth saving, it is like, worth saving. It is it is the example of of uh, social Facebook games. Like, right. Like fifty years from now, people will know that name and they won't be able to play it right. There's no way to save it, and no interest in saving <laughs> it from the audience or the publisher. Right. <laughs> really. Probably. Yeah. I mean, if it's not making money for them, then they're like, eh, throw it away. Uh, Konami just announced that it's like shutting down 31 of its mobile titles. Yeah. It's keeping the free-to-play stuff around. But, but that's nothing. I mean, that's nothing new either. Like, yeah, things disappear off the app stores all the time. Right. We don't even. Yeah. We yeah. are not even consciously aware of it. People are just keeping an eagle eye on Konami right now because everyone hates Konami right now. Sure, <laughs> but <laughs> no, again, like, like this is. I'm just saying this is a major publisher yeah. or formerly major publisher right. shutting down dozens of games in one fell swoop. They're yeah, gone. Well, the BBC taped over Doctor Who. Yep. 
You know, like this was like that's how the people, the, the entities that own consumerist populist content think about their consumerist populist content. It's not they don't think of it as the, the great novel. They think of it as like fodder mm. to feed people. And then when it technologically or audience wise doesn't matter to them anymore, who gives a shit? Is this what we're talking about two months? And from that's now why I play on a game. Frame, frame Meister. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. it's, but it is why you're recording the the Game Boy footage, right? In a way. Well, ultimately, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, I'm mean, not worried about those games vanishing off the face of the no, earth. The all those are. ROMs have been ripped. But right. but but no one else is is preserving them. As but theoretically, sort of... they could. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. I, but I, no I one think has. That's different, so right? yeah, it it, is it's different. a different it's yeah. a different example. I mean, if I were really really into preservation, I would be hunting down like obscure Spectrum games or yeah. like. You know, games for the Commodore Pet. Obscure magazines, maybe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Anyone have any issues of Captron Magic out there? Let wow, me know, please. You've heard of that. No, you haven't. No one has. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Spectrum Vega. The uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah The Indiegogo, yeah. Kickstarted, whatever it was. I'm familiar with the device. existing. I don't really know details. Um, I backed it. I'm supposed to be getting one sometime soon. Supposedly they shipped them all out. Um, cool. But they went back and included like twelve hundred games on the thing. So like I, that's that's not everything that was ever made for Spectrum, but I imagine they went out and they found like, you know, some dude who made his game in a garage in Sussex somewhere and were like, Hey, can we take I this game that sold that. dozens no, of copies? I hundred percent don't think they did. Twelve hundred times? No. No. Absolutely not. They just dumped no. them. If 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 it was that clear to get the rights, they would be available everywhere. No. Uh, what they did was either not care, which is what I suspect Elite did, that company in the UK that put Spectrum games out on the App Store. I suspect they just pirate them and don't care. Or because the only examples we have of, of mass, like how the heck did they get those rights? Like because the only two examples are Elite Spectrum Collection and the, the Spectrum whatever it is. Like maybe the li- maybe licensing games officially for the spectrum meant you were coughing over the rights forever. I don't know. You know, like, yeah. there's something very specifically weird with the spectrum that's either just British people not caring and no one challenging them, or social. I saw I saw some blog posts about about the elite stuff. Like some people people were alleging that they they weren't getting the rights. There's no way they got those rights. There's no way. <laughs> I agree. Like that is. That is like a 20-person licensing team working for years. You know, like Mm -hmm. that is is not something that those guys did. Okay. Well, I apologize for my naivete. (laughs) I like to believe in the best. Um, so anyway, we've, uh, we've gone for quite a while now. And meandered quite, quite on a little, yeah. little journey. Um, so just to kind of wrap it up, mm-hmm. um, I feel like we've covered this topic pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything that we've really sort of overlooked? Um, like options, means of playing these classic games? I, I, I do want to reiterate that like you're, you know, if, if you're happy with something like the Retron, that's great. You know, good. <laughs> like, like carry on. But um, I don't know. Do we, do we want to like rank options maybe? Because I what I feel like might be missing is like you just heard all this stuff and your mind might be spinning and you might hate your consoles right now. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the easiest, cheapest thing is just 
get an emulator, download some ROMs. Yeah, absolutely. Like and uh, many people. And some are very emulators happy. are very, very good now. Well, all, and all emulators are better than what might be the next option, which is not all emulators, but like there are better options. There are better emulators for every emulator that's in the Retron Five. Mm-hmm. Like, like, so if you're happy playing on your PC or like even piping it to your TV, which I do sometimes, you know, like, like that's yeah. I mean, computers really and TVs now option. use HDMI, so yeah. it's not difficult to output yeah. from a computer to a totally television. solid option. Input lag not too bad because it's all digital. It's being scaled in in software, you know. Um, I I personally don't feel great about emulation. Just like the, the yeah. piracy legality bothers me, but that's a personal moral quandary that I deal with and I right. don't project it on anyone else. Right. And if and if you don't have a problem with that, great. Have fun. Um but then I guess if you if you are the audience that wants to play your cartridges on your actual cartridges on an H D T V, I think the best option right now is Retron, frankly. Like I'm not a fan of their business practices, but that is a really solid option right now. Mm-hmm. Um I feel like there are more of those in the works? There's, There's one in Japan. Yeah, right? the Japanese one, and that one has PC yeah. Engine uh, cards support, yes. which is cards. They're all just, they're, they're Android tablets under the hood. They're mm, running yeah. emulators. And, and uh, like, I guarantee that that Japanese thing stole their disk reading, or their cartridge reading tech, or at least the identifier pointers, because, uh, anal- uh, is, what's the name of the company that does the Retron? Oh, Hyperkin. Yeah, Hyperkin. Hyperkin. Like, Hyperkin had to, like, I'm pretty sure identify the every cartridge because all it does is like mm-hmm. it goes oh that's Castlevania Bloodlines and it dumps the ROM into memory and then right emulates. and it's yeah exactly that, that's why about. I can't do Super Game Boy it couldn't because right, it didn't it, have that programmed into yeah. it so anyway it's a pretty good option but then you know I think what I think what we all want to convey is try not to plug your old consoles into an HDTV directly because yeah it's it's, it, it's really bad like it looks terrible and it will play worse yeah. Like, it could be unplayable, as a matter of fact, depending on your television and how much lag is introduced by your TV's native upscaler. And there are other upscalers. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just not familiar with them because I went straight to the best. Right. They're yeah, I mean, other, other upscalers, you know, cost half as much, but reputedly work half as well. Right. So it is a, your mileage may vary. I feel like if you're going to make an investment in something, if you're going to spend $150 to make your games look better, you might as well say, okay, I'll go the extra mile and spend 300 and have something that really works the way it needs to. I agree. But, yeah. you know, it's money, and I'm always reluctant to tell people, hey, you should spend your money this way. Sure, but if if you want to scale your old games on actual hardware on your HDTV, you know, I don't. There, there's not a – there's not another valid option other than getting a hardware scaler and uh, FrameMeister right now, despite its price tag and and, and kind of and it's a little hard to get because it's yeah. only legal or not legally, but only officially sold in Japan. Right. Micomsoft is a Japanese company that does not have a f- official American distribution, but and, it's it's not difficult to get a hold of of the the thing. And like it has flaws, it has a lot of flaws, and there will be an alternative eventually. And I would not be shocked if there's eventually like a hundred dollar alternative. Mm-hmm. But right now, uh, and for the foreseeable future, that is your option, as far as I'm concerned. Um, let's see other options. Of course, you know, getting a CRT and just playing yep. your game system that way. And then there's the – that's where we sort of split into another, like, I don't know, like, suite of options. Like, option one is get some old CRTV, yeah. CRT TV, just plug in 
composite. There's an infographic here. Yeah. yeah, like there is with like like a path. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like it like like do you have room for another TV? Is one. Time. It's more like a flowchart. Yeah. yeah, there's something there. Yeah, I mean, you know, at the higher end option, there is a Sony PVM or BVM, sure. the broadcast monitors, and those will cost you. Three hundred dollars for if a twenty-four inch, yeah. Yeah. yeah, or three hundred dollars plus a hundred dollars shipping on eBay. Yeah, um, and they require special inputs because they don't use just the standard plugs. They they yep. generally use a somewhat different style of plug. You can get adapters for like two dollars. It's not a big deal, but just be aware that there is that additional cost. Now you get adapters for twenty dollars only from one person in the UK, actually for a PVM. Uh, well, oh, I'm, I'm, for I'm talking my about... PVM, for my PVM, which has the Sony computer adapter, which is a proprietary uh-huh. thing, mm. but a lot of them do have a BNC. Yeah, the BNC is, adapter, which is a lot connector, which is yeah. similar to the RCA adapter or connector, but slightly different. And you can get an RCA to BNC. It's fun times. And you know, if you get a FrameMeister, you have to keep in mind that it's it's going to have the D terminal that connects to an S-cart cable or whatever, you need to make sure that your system has the right inputs for it. It's, yeah. There are guides out there. Uh, yeah. Retro RGB is the name of a website, and, mm-hmm. and I find that yes. there's tutorials. I don't agree with some of them. I, I link to them but, pretty extensively in my yeah. uh, my piece that I wrote for US Gamer. They do a really good job of explaining. Like, they break it out by system. Like, here's all your options for this system spitting out RGB. So, yeah. Um, what what other options are there? Of course, there's you know you can go the the virtual console right. PSN route. You, you can, can buy only play you can only play things that are actually available, which represents what like one percent of video game history. But yeah, and but it's the important stuff, sort of mostly. Mostly, I mean, my my I actually kind of divested myself of classic games uh, several years ago. Yeah, a while a while back, just for financial reasons. And started reacquiring, you know, Famicom games and NES games and so forth, specifically that I knew would never be brought onto Virtual right. Console because, you know, like, oh, it's IRM and they're dead. Or uh, this is a licensed game and no one's going to bother to pay, you know, the, the licensing fee for DuckTales or something. Or if, all, if they do, not, then yeah. it's going to, you know, it's going to be up there for a year or two and then disappear. Right, exactly. Yeah. So... Like that that's that was kind of my start was, you know, augmenting virtual console. But now that I've I've kind of moved away from virtual console uh because of, you know, the the fact that I can play these games more effectively. Yeah. Um and more in a more satisfying way. They don't have save states if I play on original hardware, but I'm okay with that. And yeah. and at this point we're now leaving the Wii so far behind that like it's clear that the Wii U is not going to be getting all the systems that the Wii had as oh, virtual yeah. console and certainly Neither is the PlayStation 4 or any other modern console going to be getting, you know. I don't know. I might. I'm trying to change that. But, well, you know, please we'll do. See, we'll see how it, how it goes. But. Because, like, for me, like, I care a lot about the Turbo Graphics. And, like, that is even the emulation, commercial emulation of the Turbo Graphics is, is, is becoming, like, a for the West, certainly a thing of the past. It's, I think it's on uh, the Wii U in Japan. Yeah, but not, not on American. Uh, there are, you know, the, the Turbo Graphics games on PSN that are – Kind of weirdly overpriced compared to the rest of stuff. But it's also a tiny, tiny slice. Like compared, you know, even more tiny than uh, than, say other systems. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So again, like you're going to have to. There's a certain point where also what matters to you, like what systems and games matter to you, dictates the road you want to take as well. I I don't have a lot of optimism that virtual console services are ever going to become more robust and more fully featured and uh, 
you know, license a broader selection of games because that was kind of the Wii was the experiment there. Like what what here is going to make us money? And yeah. basically the games that you're seeing again on Wii U or 3DS, those are what make money. It's not even just what would make money. Like, you know, that was Nintendo tracking down licenses as far mm-hmm. as I know. And uh, um, what I my understanding is they they'd license whatever games they could, you know, and and uh, you know, little trade secret when Digital Eclipse is out there trying to uh, pitch or even like license games to to re-release, we're looking at what Nintendo already did because it's like that's what they were able to accomplish. You know? Yeah, so. the companies that like worked with them were companies that were interested in working with them. There's also the issue, of course, that like a lot of companies, even if they still exist, even if they still have the rights to their old games, it's not a top priority, and they don't have people at those companies who who really are invested in in putting an effort to get them back out there. Yeah. yeah, I mean, people slag on Capcom all the time, but I think Mega Man Legacy Collection is kind of a good indication of the fact that Capcom USA is sort of unusual in the fact that it is staffed with people who really care and right. make the effort. Yeah. Um, oh, they care. I mean, they, they've got, like, speedrunners on staff. Like, I mean, if you look at Virtual Console, you can infer which companies, like, Mm-hmm. There's a Capcom. There's a fair amount of Konami, Natsume. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, those Tecmo. are the yeah. Those are the companies that like. There's a whole. We all know there's yeah. a whole slew of SNES, NES games that really matter. Arc System Works is another one they put up. You know, like Double Dragon stuff is up because of them on Virtual Console. You know, I, I, I with with Digital Clips, I, I usually make the comparison to the Criterion Collection, but really, what we need more of is like a, a Rhino Records or like a Shout Factory. Mm. You know, someone who yeah who is willing to to uh, to 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 put themselves in that financial risk of licensing, you know, freaks and geeks, the the failed television show, and putting out the box set, and they usually are rewarded handsomely for it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like like video games doesn't have that yet. I don't think even digital clips is in that place yet. We're not in a place where I can go out and start licensing games. Like we're we're still sort of building that business, but you know. This is a totally different conversation, but like point being that the virtual console sort of service could be better than ever once we start thinking about it in a different way than like Nintendo talking to its close partners. Yeah. Anyway, so I feel like that's pretty much the gamut. Uh, have we overlooked any? As far options? as displaying old games, no. Like uh, maybe like okay. Um, what we what I think we might have overlooked is. Uh, the theoretical possibilities of simulating a CRT. Oh, yeah. I'm very interested in that, yeah. honestly. Because, um, like, right now, what we tend to accept is add scan lines, right? Like, that's all the FrameMeister does. Uh, but it doesn't simulate what a game would actually look like on a CRTV. With ghosting CRTV. and yeah. dot crawl and bleed. Yeah. So, like, you know, we, we have a filter, for example, in Mega Man Legacy Collection that uh, is not – it's not perfect because you can't. Like you just can't be perfect. I, I, I think as we get into, I don't think 1080p is enough of a resolution even to simulate the way that a 240p game looked on a CRT. Like so, our TV filter is just it's kind of faking things and playing more into human perception than it is like actually simulating a CRT. It looks okay, but like it's like we're not really there yet. So like, there's a lot of different approaches to to simulating what a CRT, you know, like making a game look like it's running on a CRT that, uh, I don't know, we, I, don't, I don't think anyone's perfect yet. I don't think we can be perfect in 1080p. Uh, I think we're getting close. Um, I, I, I suspect that 4K will uh, 
you know, we're already sort of there, but but when that becomes more mainstream and we have enough GPU to like really push these filters, I suspect 4K is enough to be convincing. But uh, that's, I mean, that's a whole other conversation. And then it does go back to like artist intent, right? Like, right. Did the artist intend for this bleed to happen? If so, like what's the closest we can get to that, you know? And it goes back also to the player intent, which is like, you know, you did this a little bit with your options in your yeah. in Mega Man, but like, like I said, my memory of playing on a nice Commodore monitor is quite different than somebody else's monitor of like someone who played on an RF yeah. connection mm-hmm. on a crappy TV. But that's both like our, you know, our like little, you know, like Turbo Graphics, my 13-year-old's like heart knows exactly what yeah. playing ease on a Commodore monitor is, right? And that's sort of in my brain and right. that's what I want. But like super subjective because of uh, of that stuff. So it'll yeah. be really interesting when we get like, I mean, emulators do this, the ones that are trying this stuff, like you can really have a range of sort of options. It's very, again, sort of analog in a way. Like, you set yeah. things the way you want them. Yeah, and, you know, the things are looking good, but I, I don't... There's just there's just too much going on, because, like, even just the overlay stuff that we do that, like, a lot of the emulators do, like, we're, we're, we're doing similar things. Um, there's, there's two things you want to, like, overlay on top. There's the scan lines, but also there's what's called the aperture grill, where there's there's like three colored bars for every mm-hmm. what you think of like as a pixel on a television. Like if you really zoom in, you could see these things. Um, we just don't have enough resolution to actually like show an aperture grill and 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 do that the way it's supposed to. Which will, uh, you know, we're in the early days of what we'd call like subpixel display, right? Because uh, two pixels next to each other on a CRT TV. There's an in-between color too, mm-hmm. you know, that, that that doesn't exist if you're just like displaying the pixels. So um, we're still a ways off from that, but uh, yeah, that's that's something that I am wondering about with Game Boy World is yeah, uh, a lot of the Game Boy Color games, the more advanced ones, use subpixel rendering to create the illusion yeah. of more colors. But that was an LCD trick. Yep. I don't know if that's going to if it's even going to mm. work when I you know am out putting stuff through a Game Boy player at 240p like. Will that happen? Yeah, I don't know. It's a mystery. Then there's the thing, you know, the grill on the CRT TV, TVs was like different manufacturers made mm, different right. shaped grills. So, <laughs> like, there's just so much variance. Like, there's no perfect. You said this, or that was like a quote you said way earlier. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. There is no, no, there literally, it's not that, like, yeah. you can't get to perfect. There is no perfect because it's all this huge different. Like, even just with the color palette of the NES, you can't get perfect. <laughs> So, so I think we've pretty much uh, run out of time here. It's been almost two hours of talking about this. That's cool. Definitely the most meticulous and nerdy <laughs> Metronauts ever. Um, but uh, hopefully, it's been interesting to everyone. I feel like you know people listening to this podcast are interested in classic games, and many people will have an interest in how they experience uh, classic games and how to make that experience better. I'm I'm actually kind of curious to hear from listeners, like, what have your experiences been and what solutions have you seized upon and why? Uh, because there is such a huge range of ways to play old games. And, you know, some are maybe objectively better than others, but mostly it's subjective and it's really down to player tastes and what your needs are and how your approach meets your needs. Um, so... Like, this conversation could keep going if we had more people in the room. Like, we could go another hour for each person. Uh, but we don't have that time, and we don't have their, have other people in here. So I will let you guys respond in the blog comments and uh, wrap it up here. So 
Thank you, Frank, for joining us. Yeah, Christian, uh, great having you on, both yeah. of you. I really thoroughly enjoyed this. Yeah, great. It's, it's, I hope other people enjoyed listening to it. It's uh, <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty navel gazy, pretty pretty far in the weeds, but you know we got to do that occasionally, I guess. Um, oh, I think this was a good retro nods. I think this is the kind of thing that a lot of your fans uh, listen to it for. Well, hopefully everyone who was angry at me for saying, oh, screw the Frame Meister, 300 bucks, will, will forgive me now. <laughs> I've, I've seen the light, and uh, it was a train at the end of the tunnel, and <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, so we, as ever, are Retronauts. You can find us at retronauts.com, usgamer.net. Uh, on iTunes, you can subscribe. You can give us uh, nice votes and, and good reviews. We like those. Uh, you can find us on Twitter as Retronauts, YouTube, other forms of social media. Follow us. The podcast is supported through Patreon.com. And I think that's the spiel. So, Frank, where can we find you on the Internet? Tell us a little bit about your your presence on the online world. Uh, sure. So, I mean, professionally, digitaleclipse.com will tell you what we're trying to accomplish with this company, which is basically, you know, make the video game industry wake up and treat their classics like the works of art that they are. Um, Mega Man Legacy Collection is the first of those, and hopefully there are many more to follow. Uh, nothing to announce yet, so stop asking me. Uh, I, am, I am on Twitter, at uh, Frank Cifaldi, and that's really where I do most of my stuff. Uh, and there's a link to a blog that I almost never update in my Twitter bio. And Christian? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ferricide, F-E-R-R-I-C-I-D-E. You can always find me on Gamasutra.com, where I am the blog director, curating the blogs, writing, all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, and finally, I should mention, you can hear me most weeks on Tiny Cartridge's TinyCast. Uh, it's a real fun podcast if you like portable games. And I, of course, uh, am at usgamer.net, and uh, I'm on... Twitter as GameSpite. Uh, and of course, uh, as I talked about several times throughout this episode, you can find me doing Game Boy curation and retrospectives at GameBoyWorld.com. I'm about almost 50 games in at this point. Um, that's slow going, I guess, but you know, that's. That's life. Oh, anyway, and, and if you happen to like my voice, uh, we just recently uh, relaunched uh, the Insert Credit podcast. I don't know if insertcredit.com shows an update, but hopefully it does. <laughs> uh, is that on iTunes? It is on iTunes. Well, there you go. Insert Credit. There you go. So all of us are on, on other podcasts and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. My uh, Collect my, our voices. Yes. We're like vocal Pokemon. <laughs> uh, my uh, my YouTube channel where I put, put the Game Boy World stuff is uh, – channel is Toasty Frog, so that's where you can go to find those videos if you want to skip the front page. Anyway, um, thanks once again for listening. We'll be back next week with a micro-episode and the week after with a full-sized regular episode. <laughs>